to the flag of the United States of America. President Carter Elias, like I'm um, Carter Overstone, I'd like to take roll. Commissioner Walker. Present. Commissioner Benedicto is excused. Commissioner Yanez. President. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yee. Here. Vice President Carter Overstone, you have a quorum. Um, President Elias is excused. Also here with us tonight is Chief Scott from the San Francisco Police Department and Executive Director Paul Henderson from the Department of Police Accountability. Could you please call the first item, Sergeant? Line item one, weekly officer recognition certificate. Presentation of an officer who has gone above and beyond in the performance of their duties. Sergeant Victor Hughes, Sergeant number 1370 from the burglary unit. Good evening. Good evening, commissioners, Chief Scott and Director Henderson. I am uh, Captain Marcota of the Major Crimes Unit. And I am honored to be here tonight to present to you Victor Huey of the Burglary Auto Unit. Sergeant Huey is a 23-year veteran of the San Francisco Police Department. Sergeant Huey has more than 10 years as a sergeant. Over the course of Sergeant Huey's career, he has had several patrol station assignments that include Central Police Station, Ingleside Police Station, Terravel Police Station, Southern Police Station's Patrol, Footbeat, and Investigation Unit. In addition to those patrol assignments, Sergeant Huey has been assigned to numerous specialized assignments that include the Violence Reduction Team, the Patrol Bureau Task Force, the Department's Specialist Team, and the Organized Retail Theft Task Force. Sergeant Huey has been an outstanding member of the Auto Burglary Unit since its revival in 2017. Sergeant Huey is one of the first sergeants into the office every morning. Sergeant Huey is constantly collaborating with fellow members of the department and members of the district attorney's office. Sergeant Huey treats all victims of crimes who he obviously is committed to helping with empathy and compassion. Sergeant Huey is also quick to offer his help to every one of his coworkers and share his skills and experience when asked. Sergeant Huey is respectful and eager to assist when called upon by his supervisors and will also be quick to look for obstacles and potential challenges that his supervisors may need to be aware of. Sergeant Huey always answers a call from his coworkers and supervisors on or off duty at any time, day or night. When any supervisor gives Sergeant Huey a task that a supervisor can consider that task well done. Sergeant Huey is very well respected and liked throughout the entire San Francisco Police Department and the community. In recent months, Sergeant Huey was instrumental in identifying and apprehending one of the largest stolen property fences in San Francisco. In this investigation, hundreds of stolen electronics were recovered. So far, over 50 victims have been located and reunited, reunited with their property. These items include, but are not limited to, laptops, which in some cases contain family photos, while other laptops contain hours of work product. Most importantly, Sergeant Huey is a dedicated and proud father. I am honored to work with Sergeant Huey, and I, along with his immediate supervisor, Lieutenant Scott Ryan, am proud to present him here to you tonight.
So I'll read this. Uh, San Francisco Police Department recognizes Sergeant Victor Huey, star number 1370 of the burglary unit, the officer of the week, in recognition of your dedication and professionalism demonstrated throughout outstanding community policing practices and inspiring greatness by exemplifying the ideals of police officers as guardians of our community. Such an example of dedication is worthy of the highest esteem by the city and county of San Francisco and the San Francisco Police Department. Sergeant, I uh, just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for, uh, for your service. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Thank you so much for your service and, and all of your incredible work. I did want to, no pressure, but give you an opportunity to say a few words if you wanted to. I thank you. I, uh, respectfully, thank you. Okay. Well, your, your humility is overwhelming. Um, thank you. Thank you so much again. And thank you, Captain Coda, for highlighting uh, the sergeant's uh, outstanding work. Uh, I see, uh, I'm sorry, Chief Scott. Uh, uh, Thank you, uh, Vice President, Acting President Carter Overstone. I just, uh, again, I wanted to thank you as well, and just for the public, you know, San Francisco has a tremendous challenge with you know, property crime, particularly some of the organized retail theft, and, you know, the work that you and your, your colleagues are doing on identifying these fencing operations and identifying really some of um, the root causes of why people steal in the first place to get money. It's, it's huge, and um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, the work that you all have done, I just wish there were more people like you and your team because we need more of that. So I know your family's here, and I just want to say thank you because it's a sacrifice. We call you guys out at all day, days and hours and weekends and all that stuff when we get these, these big cases, and you, you responded, and you responded to the challenge. So thank you. Yeah, we appreciate your service. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Commissioner Yee. Thank you very much there, uh, Acting uh, President uh, uh, Max Carter Overstone. Uh, I just want to commend um, Sergeant uh, Victor Huey for all your hard work. Uh, I know if you get one victim back to a laptop, there's, there's uh, joy out there, but 50 people that are reunited back with their uh, laptop and devices. Uh, it's an outstanding job uh, for you and the team for the you know, burglary detail. So again, thank you for your commitment during your working hours and off hours. Uh, that's truly a commitment to public safety here. We truly, truly uh, thank you for that. Thank you very much there, Sergeant uh, Victor Hui. Commissioner Walker. I just want to thank you and congratulate you and the entire team. Um, the work you do is really important to all of us. And thank the family for being here. I know you're so proud, and so are we. So thank you for everything, too. Thank you. Sergeant, could you take us to public comment? For members of the public, we would like to make public comment regarding line item one, weekly officer recognition. Please approach the podium.
Acting President Carter, we're still in there is no public comment. Next item, please, Sergeant. Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DP personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Um, alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the Secretary of the Police Commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org, or written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make general public comment, please approach the podium. Good evening, everyone. I'd like to use the overhead. And while doing that, I just want to thank everyone that came out for my son's visual and all the other mothers and fathers who've lost their children that day. And um, Chief Scott, who showed up, and all of the others, and your staff that helped out. My son was murdered August 14, 2006. To this day, his case isn't solved. Um, I'm still asking that. Um, that they um, find some kind of way to solve these homicides. Uh, in our last conversation, we were talking about getting other people, to, uh, another people that you can hire, rehire, to uh, to solve these cases, and also to have more money to, to for tipsters to come forth instead of this two hundred and fifty thousand dollar reward. I mean, still that's there, but find other ways for the for the for those people to come forth. You know, because otherwise these cases aren't going to get solved. And I'm going to continue to come here until the day I die. I'm hoping this can happen before my demise, you know. And he has siblings that he left behind. And they're suffering just as well. August 14th was the 17th year of my son's murder. The 17th year. And that was the 17th anniversary. So numbers are significant to me. I um, just wanted to say, please find some other ways to solve my son's case. Not just my son, but other mothers and fathers who are suffering are out there in silence, self-medicating. Um, I'm glad you guys are open back up so I can come up here and find other ways to get other mothers to call in because they're suffering and can't come down here. So that's a disability. And with that, thank you. Hello, Vice President Carter Overstone, Commissioners Chief Scott and Director Henderson. Uh, tonight you'll be voting on, and I assume passing, DGO 201, which was sent to meet and confer on May 10th, DGO 202 and 203, which were sent to meet and confer on May 3rd, DGO 507, which was sent to meet and confer on February 1st, DGO 5.16, which you sent to meet and confer on March 15th, and DGO 9.01 and 9.02, which you sent to meet and confer on May 17th. Not yet returned for meet and confer is the DGO you passed on January 11th, then again unanimously on April 5th, DGO 9.07 on pretext stops. There's been no update 
on how far along the discussions are. Uh, when it has appeared on closed session agenda, tonight is the fifth time, having appeared February 15th, March 8th, May 17th, and June 21st, none of the information discussed was disclosed by vote of the commission. The commission was in favor of this DGO unanimously. The chief was in favor of it after his added April language and the public showed up to support and applaud this commission when it passed. By my count, it's been eight months, but even if it's only five months, it's still longer than most of the DGOs you're voting on tonight. Please update us and please stay true to the resolution you passed to not extend the meet and confer process beyond what is it allowed by law. Thank you. Acting President Carter Overstone, that is the end of public comment. Uh, next item, please. Line item three, consent calendar, receive and file, action. Approval for four members to travel and attend 2023 Benchmark Analytics EIS Leadership Conference at a cost of 3804 and 3606. Approval to accept cash awards and gifts for the recipients of the Police Officers of the Month Award for the months of April, May, and June 2023, a value of $6,000. The semi-annual report of the Sexual Evidence Kit, SAPD's second quarter 2023 audit for um, bias, CIT's annual report, SAPD's and DPA's second quarter document protocol report, and SAPD's and DPA's SB 1421 monthly report. Uh, thank you, Sergeant. I, I would like to just agendize for future discussion uh, the CIT's uh, 2022 uh, report. Uh, and with that, I'll ask if there is a, a motion to uh, receive and file. I'll make a motion to receive and file. Second. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, consent calendar, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment on the motion. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner yes. Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne yes. is yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we got your vote. Thank you. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. Can you, you hear five me? Yeses. Yes, Commissioner, we can hear you. All right, you have five yeses, Commissioner. Next item, please, Sergeant. Line item four adoption of minutes, action for the meetings of July 12th and July 19th, 2023. Is there a motion? Move to approve. Second. For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item four, the adoption of minutes, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item five, Chief's report, discussion, weekly crime trends and public safety concerns. Provide an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. Good, good evening, uh, Acting President Carter Overstone, uh, Commissioners, Executive Director Henderson, and the public. Um, I'll start this week's report off by saying um, hope everybody had a great uh, recess. There has been uh, some activity to report on 
in the month that we were off. We had a couple of homicides that um, we're still actively working on, uh, including one that I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail about. This uh, stemmed from an incident that happened on August 24th, 2023. This was in the 3900 block of uh, Richmond. And the victim who worked at a uh, convenience store confronted a subject who attempted to leave the store with merchandise. The owner armed himself with a baseball bat and moved toward the front of the store when he realized the subject attempted to leave without paying. The subject took the bat from the victim and struck the victim several times, including uh, in, in his head. And the, the subject then fled in a vehicle that, was, that had been parked outside. The, the victim was transported to the hospital and actually uh, passed away from the injuries about five days later on August 28th. And this was um, a really, really sad, sad occasion. I mean, this is um, really a worst case scenario for what was started out as a basically a grab and run uh, that ended up in the death of, of this employee, this, this needless death of, this, of this, this man. And we're gonna do everything we can on this case to try to bring to justice the person that did this, but highlighting some of the work that Sergeant Huey and his team are doing in terms of addressing retail theft. You know, many of these, these crimes these days are ending up with people, our uh, offenders, pulling out guns, firing shots, and things of that nature, and it's become more brazen and more violent. So it's really something that we have to deal with as a community and definitely as a police department to bring these folks to account on these types of crimes, but it's just a really sad case. Um, in addition to that, there were two non-fatal shootings to report this week. One, the 20, uh, on the 30th of August at 11.06 a.m., 25th in Connecticut in the Bayview, the victim was just in the area when he heard a pop and then realized he had been shot. He transported himself to the hospital. Uh, no arrest has been made on that case, and uh, officers and investigators are following up on leads. The second one is the 1600 block of Caseta. This occurred on September 1st at 7.31 p.m. Officers responded to 3rd and Caseta after receiving multiple shot spotter activations and located several spent casings. Two victims self-transported to the hospital in stable condition with gunshot wounds. Um, there are, there's a lot of investigation going on on this as well. Um, we're trying to determine if this is tied to other violence that we've seen in San Francisco and in neighboring cities but at this time we have not been able to confirm that. A um, Couple of significant arrests to report by uh, really, really good police work. This first one on September 4th, 2023 at 7.04 p.m., the 1000 block of Post Street in the Northern District. Officers assigned to the Community Violence Reduction Team were in the area and saw an individual matching the description of a wanted subject near, in a nearby vehicle. As a part of the investigation, it was discovered that that vehicle that I just mentioned was stolen. However, the individual in the vehicle uh, was not the subject currently being investigated by CVRT. As such, the CVRT officers requested that the Northern officers to respond to assist with a vehicle stop on the stolen vehicle. As the uniform officers attempted to uh, detain the person in the stolen vehicle, the subject intentionally ran his vehicle into the unoccupied patrol car and an unoccupied marked police vehicle and two parked private vehicles. The subject then drove onto the sidewalk, then turned 
his vehicle toward an officer. However, the vehicle became lodged between a light pole and a building. Um, the subject exited the vehicle and a short foot pursuit ensued and the subject was placed under arrest for driving the stolen vehicle, aggravated assault on a police officer, and three active warrants for his arrest, including a robbery warrant, a carjacking warrant, and a shoplifting warrant. The subject uh, was uh, booked into custody. No, no officers were injured. Uh, the second one was a robbery, uh, uh, armed robbery, at North, Port, North Point and Larkin, that's in the Central District, on uh, 831-23 at 5.30 p.m. Two victims were in a rental van when a subject or suspect smashed out one of the windows as they were in the vehicle. The two victims confronted the subject who went to a nearby vehicle uh, and retrieved a firearm. The subject returned with a second <coughs> subject, brandished firearms, at which time the two victims as well as the third victim uh, returned to their van and ran from the scene of fleet flip from the uh, suspects. The two subjects proceeded to remove the victim's personal belongings and then fled in the suspect's vehicle. At approximately 9.45 p.m., Tenderloin officers observed the subjects of the suspect's vehicle uh, and observed that it had a matching license plate and other identifying features that was broadcast from the earlier robbery. The suspect's vehicle was then followed to Oakland where one suspect was arrested by the Tenderloin officers, three handguns, including two mini AR-style rifles and one semi-automatic handgun were recovered. There was a second suspect that was able to escape and is still outstanding. But really good observational police work by the Tenderloin officers and we got you know the three guns and the one robbery suspect off, off of the streets for now. Um, another incident, sexual assault that occurred at Crocker Amazon Park on 831-715. This one is also disturbing. Officers uh, responded to a call and met with a juvenile victim and the juvenile's father. It was reported that the victim was assaulted by an unknown male while in the restroom. The search for the suspect uh, was negative and the victim was transported to the hospital and treated. Our SPD Special Victims Unit responded to this scene and is leading this investigation. No arrest has been made on this case. Uh, if the public has any information on this or any other case, please call 415-575-4444. And I just will just add on this last one that I talked about, uh, this was a park that had hundreds of kids uh, at soccer practice and, and the like. And um, this person was um, lying in wait in the women's restroom when this occurred. So um, it really doesn't get any more disturbing than that. But if anybody has any information, again, 415-575-4444, you can remain anonymous. Uh, just general crime information, overall crime, uh, we see a reduction in part one crime about a 3%, which is uh, just under uh, 1,200 crimes fewer than this time last year. The driver of that mainly is property crime. We ha have a 4% uh, reduction in property crimes, about 1,200 fewer crimes, and we have a 4% increase in total violent crimes, which is about 132 more than this time last year. In terms of our homicides, uh, we are five above where we were this time last year, 38 compared to 33 this time last year. And we have recovered 740 firearms. Of those, 112 are ghost guns, which is a 3% decrease compared to this time last year, 
of ghost guns recovered, but a 7% increase in total guns recovered from this time last year. Uh, no stunt driving incidents to report over the past week, and uh, that is it for my report. I think I'm out of time. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Commissioner Yee. Thank you, Acting uh, President uh, Carter Overson. Uh, Chief, I just have a question uh, regarding the, I guess, the, um, I guess the theft over in um, the Richmond District, Balboa, where the person was, uh, I guess, struck with his own baseball bat uh, by the uh, suspect. Was there photos uh, released by the department out in the public? We have put out information on the, the vehicle um, that was seen. Uh, as much information as we were able to obtain, but we have not released, uh, leave on that case, photos of yeah. suspect. Uh, looking at social media, there were some photos out there. I don't know if it was this uh, suspect or not, so I just, uh, I'll just follow up and maybe af afterwards. Uh, regarding the auto burglary uh, detail that uh, I, I think you're, you talk about in the press conference regarding uh, having more uh, officers out in these details. Uh, I see in, um, in the report from uh, last week, it uh, looks like it dropped about 18% thereabouts. Uh, I don't know if that's the impact that you're having on there. Is, you know, getting more of the, I guess your uh, auto burglary detail out there in, in, in force of, uh, I guess, uh, the high, uh, I guess the high crime areas where these do happen. Uh, is there a, any report on that? Uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Commissioner, for that question. E yes, so part of what the announcement that Commissioner Yee is referring to is our efforts to, to turn the tide on the car break-ins that we see in our city. So we've increased uh, visible patrols and mainly we're staffing details using you know, overtime that we've been given in our budget. Uh, particularly in the areas, the tourist hotspots that we see just rampant car break-in. So that is already in place. We also are doing bait car operations. Um, we hope to increase those bait car operations. We have, you know, made an arrest pretty much within the first, you know, few operations. And uh, this person we believe was a prolific car burglar and we were able to, to get that person in custody using the bait car. So that's definitely uh, something that we will grow and staff up and uh, then the, the last thing that you know we, we're really trying to focus on some of the people and crews that we know just from their past their past arrests that are continuing in this effort you know um, and that is a variety of, of tactics to try to identify them and try to you know really catch them before before the crime happens but it, it is a it's a, a game of cat and mouse really um, I was out Saturday in, um, in North Beach in Fisherman's Wharf area, and we had a crew out there and uh, hitting three, four, five cars at a time to go to the next block. And although there is presence, you know, we just have to really focus on those areas and try to saturate as much as we can do that and then run these bait car and other type of aggressive strategies to try to catch people in the act. Because that's our best chance of solving these cases is to catch them in the act. Very few of them we're able to solve after the fact unless we're lucky enough to get DNA or something inside the car. So we'll continue those strategies. Thank you very much, Chief, and uh, thank uh, all the officers who keep us safe out there. Thank you. If I can just add one thing, I'm sorry. 
just a follow-up on a uh, question that Commissioner Byrne asked, I think in June or so with Tenderloin and the deployment. So we do now have a night squad of Tenderloin officers to, to work on some of the open air drug market and some of the issues we see at night. That started this week. We also have a, a night captain that we're assigning to this drug market operation at night because we're making some headway during the daytime. I mean, it's not solved, but definitely we're making some headway with all the efforts citywide, not just the police department, but at nighttime, because staffing has been so low, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So that started this week. I just wanted to follow up with you on that. Commissioner Byrne. Uh, thank, thank you, Chief, for that. Uh, uh, just two, two uh, areas of questions. Uh, the first one um, is, um, it's my understanding that the, um, the mandate from the city on the COVID vaccine uh, requirement is now gone? That, that's correct. For the police department, yes. I and think for everybody. But. Is the department going to make an outreach to those officers that, uh, uh, <clears throat> that resigned or were terminated uh, to try to get them to come back to deal with the shortage? The attorney stuff. Um, um, that the police department is undergoing right now? So, yes, we do have a strategy of outreach um, and definitely working with DHR and our city attorneys on some of the issues we need to work through on that. But um, the, I think that we'll see where that leads. I mean, this is the decision was uh, announced about a week ago, a week and a half ago. So we'll see where that leads. But definitely we are um, looking into that issue and developing a strategy for outreach. Okay, and I'll do a follow-up later then, yes. since it is new. The, the second issue that I'd like to raise um, this evening is, is Chief, um, and there was an, uh, uh, an officer, a member of the department, that apparently was compromised on the, on the drug, on the drug, um, on the, on a drug arrest. And I understand that there's an investigation going on now involving that officer. But I think uh, members of the public, at least I have, uh, uh, in, in our recess have heard comments um, that um, a lot of the public would like to know the magnitude, how many cases it's have been affected, um, stuff without interfering with the uh, in actual investigation. But I, but I do think it's important to know, you know, the magnitude of exactly, uh, exactly what happened as a result. Um, and I'm going to put a request that uh, the matter be agendized. Thank you. Uh, th Chief, thanks for the report. Just a couple questions. Mm -hmm. um, wanted you brought up the tenderloin staffing. Um, can you give us an update on the staffing for folks who are focused on specifically arresting drug users? Is it still eight officers and one sergeant, or does the nighttime uh, crew that you just mentioned also participate in that? Yeah, the night. So it's still eight officers and a sergeant, and the night crew. Uh, we'll do not exclusively that because the issues at night are that and then the drug sales. So they'll be doing some of that work. Uh, in, in addition, there is, because these eight officers work, you know, a four-day, 10-hour-a-week schedule. So on um, at least one, sometimes two of their off days, there's another team of officers, which it's usually four, that will come in and work those issues in the tenderloin it's usually four officers um, and they do mainly that type of work on open air public drug use 
Uh, the 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 other part of it is the the drug sales, which the entire narcotics unit is basically focused right now on this. But they focus on the sales side of this this equation, and not necessarily the the well, not at all on the on the use side of it. So we're pretty stable with the deployment. This night crew, we hope, will help alleviate some of our issues at night. But it's only, I think, it's six, six officers. So they can't do everything. You just have to focus on what the problems are and try to manage you know, what, what they can do at night when they're, when they're working. So for the night crew, it's six officers. And what percentage, if you know, roughly of their time is spent on arresting drug users? Uh, I don't at this point. They just started this yes, week. Sir. and. Um, most of the arrests this week have been sales, if I'm not mistaken, but they will do some of that work. For instance, if they are, I mean, we get complaints quite often where you have a block or corner that might have 50 or 60 people, many of them users. And so that type of thing they will call, be called to engage uh, on, on that type of thing. And some of that is warning, some of it might be arrest. So it's not a one-size-fits-all type of strategy. It kind of depends on what they have in front of them. That's helpful. So just, just trying to get a sense of the scale. So we've got the eight officers and one sergeant full-time doing drug u- intervention with drug users. Then we've got the four folks who are doing it part-time to make up for the 40-hour week of the main staff. And then we've got a six officers at night doing some percentage of their time on on focusing on drug users okay and i did see this publicly reported but i just wanted to ask uh, it was a few weeks ago just the number do you happen to know the number of arrests of drug users and then how many of those folks have accepted treatment yes i do as of uh today hang on one second i think it's summary here see year to date there have been 467 arrests uh, and this basically is from when we started this at the end of may until uh, september 3rd 467 now uh, and that's just for either public intoxication from drugs or public drug use where they're actually using in public and and how many of those folks have accepted treatment uh, from my understanding, there is one, one. that has accepted treatment. Um, and just you know, a little bit more context on that. I, I know our public health folks are out. Um, there's, I don't want to get the name wrong. I think it's their street medicine team, and they have a team of people that really focus on engaging with some of our addicted population on the streets. And so they do that pretty much daily, and they're not deployed seven days a week, but every day that they work, that's what they do. And what I have been informed is that they do have about six people that they're at least doing some type of case management, uh, and that's where the one who actually accepted treatment, and there's one, and then there was another one that I just learned about today, so actually it's two, I believe. So, I mean, I know that's a small number, but uh, we started from zero, so you know we'll take any type of success as a step forward. And I think it's going to really take, my opinion, it's going to take a sustained effort, you know, particularly dealing with addiction. Uh, and I think it's going to take both sides of this equation. It's going to take you know the law enforcement side and the 
public health and others to really turn the corner on where we need to go with this. Thanks, Chief. I, I don't want to, we, when we originally spoke about this at the commission, you and I talked about what metrics the department would be looking at to determine whether this new focus was succeeding or not. And we threw out different metrics. And I think you said at the end of the day, what matters is the conditions need to improve. And I certainly don't want to reprise the debate on this, but given the, the number of arrests versus the number of people accepting treatment, it seems like so far this, the strategy of arresting people for using drugs has not been successful. And I'm just wondering how much longer are we going to continue experimenting with this before we make a determination about whether it's a good use of resources to continue? Yeah, and, and I, I definitely respect that opinion, Commissioner, and definitely I, too, don't want to open the debate, but I will say this. Uh, until some other entity other than the police department deals with this issue, it really doesn't leave us with much of a choice because what I can say with absolute certainty from going to community meeting after community meeting after community meeting, people are just fed up with what they're seeing on the streets. And no other agency really has the ability to immediately at least change to get a person off the sidewalks if they're, if they're using in public or uh, so intoxicated that they, you know, can't stand up or whatever. No other, no, right, as we sit here tonight, no other, no other department has the ability to do anything with that except for to talk about it. And I think people are just fed up with the talk. And you will never hear me say that the arresting of these folks is going to solve addiction. But, you know, these are still crimes that we can't just turn a blind eye to and say it's not working. So... Again, that invitation is open. If somebody has a better idea, if some other department wants to take this on with a better way to do it, that's why we're all working on this together. And I, I, I will say public health has been at the table. They uh, are aggressively trying to do outreach to get people in a position to not have to go to jail. Is that successful? Maybe not now, based on the number of people that accepted services, but Another thing that I think I learned about addiction is sometimes it takes many, many touches before people decide that they want to, you know, take advantage of what's been offered to them. So I think we just got to continue to work at it and continue to put our heads together to look for a solution um, that works. All right. Thanks, Chief. I'm going to hold myself to it and not actually reprise the debate. <laughs> I'll just say, though, that you said you made a statement that there weren't any other ideas. And as we discussed before, this city did commission a, a blue ribbon commission to come up with ideas in the very recent past. The San Francisco Police Department was part of that. And there's an eight point plan out there just collecting dust with some other ideas. So well, I've read it. We've all we've read it. OK, it's a, it's a nice report. OK, I'll switch. I'll switch gears then. Um, uh, bait cars. Uh, could, could you say a word on on uh, on the the um, the bait car program that was recently announced, and um, if it's already being fully implemented, the scope of the of the program? Uh, it's it's a it's really a resource issue in terms of how much we can do on the bait car, but it has been implemented. Um, it, it's a resource issue. You know, we're pulling officers and investigators off of their regular assignments, and they have to work these bait cars and. 
you know, one of the things that we want to make sure as, as much as we can do this is, is to do this safely. Um, do it in a way that it minimizes risk to the public because, you know, one of the things that we see over and over again uh, when officers engage with people as they're breaking into cars, some of these folks will do anything to get away. And that includes running red lights, running up on sidewalks, uh, ramming cars, and things like that. So we want to make sure that we do this safely. And I know, we, you know, there's a general order coming in front of the police commission tonight that's a part of this effort to do it as safely as possible. But it's really a resource issue into the, the scope of what we can do. What I hope that will happen, not hope, what we plan to make happen is we're going to resource this with on-duty resources and supplement this with some of the overtime we've been granted and focus on this issue. So to expand uh, this program so we have more bait cars out there and we do them more often. And could you just give a, I don't know if you know or not, but just a rough sense of how many cars we envision being deployed, if, that, if that's something you can disclose? Yeah, I don't know at this point. Uh, hopefully the vision is, you know, as, as many as our, our personnel resources will allow for us to do it in a safe manner. You know, it takes kind of a team of officers to do this right. So you can't put more cars than you have people to manage, you know, the, 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 the operation. So. But are we talking about three cars, 10 cars, 100 cars? I, I'm just, just a, a rough, I, I don't want to, but just a very, I, I just really have no clue what the scope is if there's just any. If there's any kind of rough guidance you could give, I'm just curious to know. Yeah, we, we don't, we really don't have a set number. And, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll say, you know, respectfully, um, for the people that are breaking into cars, you know, we don't want them to know how many we have out there. We want them to think that all cars that they're breaking into are bait cars, and hopefully that'll be a deterrence. But, um, okay. Um, what is the last time that the department used a bait car? Um, I don't know. I don't. I believe we have used them during my time here, but I think there has been a time where they were used in the past. So, yeah, I do have some experience doing this before I got here, and uh, it can be very, uh, it can be very successful. And do we? Properly. So, do we have a sense for how things worked out the last time SFPD used? We don't. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't know when the last time. I'm told that we have done them in the past, but I don't know when the last time. I know we haven't done them during my tenure here. And I seem to vaguely remember that the district attorney, the prior district attorney, did use bait cars. Is that right? I believe they did a uh, bait car operation or two, uh, yes. And was SFPD involved with that or? Um, not with the actual operation itself. I think we got in after the fact. You know, got, it, we were requested to do some work after the fact, but not with the actual operation. They did that with their, uh, their team of investigators. Gotcha. Last category of question, just wanted to follow up on the Dolores Hill bomb. Um, there was a couple updates that you gave that at the time were not complete because you, the department had not yet, for example, reviewed all the body-worn camera, and so you weren't totally sure. I just want to ask about three, category, three issues that were kind of left open-ended um, because the review wasn't complete. So there, you made a statement that you know there was a lot of parents who came here and said that their child peed their pants while they were handcuffed waiting to be transported, and you had said there was, you had not seen evidence on that based on the video that had been reviewed, but not all video had been reviewed. There is also a difference in, in what was reported and what you could confirm about whether all uh, youth uh, juveniles were Mirandized, um, and then whether all juveniles were actually indeed released to a guardian. 
Um, do you have an update on, on those three things about whether you can confirm or, or deny the public uh, comments on those issues? I don't have an update, but I do believe that those are all part of uh, DPA's investigation, and you know, we'll wait and see. And we're doing our own uh, investigation into this, um, but I don't have an update to report publicly, no, and didn't know you would be asking that. But I, I, I do know there's two investigations happening in terms of looking into these issues. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Thank you. Um, going back to the issue of, you know, alternatives to the police acting and um, especially in the drug use issue. And um, it's one of the issues that I've been meeting with folks in the community about because there is no alternate authority um, that can respond when someone's breaking the law. Um, and it's not, instead of taking them to jail, it would be taking them to a place where they can be in treatment, um, at least for a period of time. And so those conversations are ongoing, as I'm understanding. And I, I saw, I think I saw today the information, I think one of the supervisors asked for an audit of one of the providers, uh, Health360, to get more information about their, their services, because that's kind of the alternate of instead of taking people to jail, it's having a place to take people who need treatment. Um, so um, are you all meeting with the Department of Health and those different departments to really, I mean, there does really need to be an alternate infrastructure other than taking police going to, to jail. It's not dissimilar from what we were discussing about pre-booking youth, you know, right. and having a system. We don't have one. We have the one system that books and takes people to jail. So um, that's the conversation I understand is having with the heart, the Department of Emergency Management to try and create that infrastructure because that really is what's needed. If, am I wrong? No, you're not. Yeah. You're not wrong, excuse me, uh, Commissioner Walker. And yet those meetings happen daily. Yeah. So with the Drug Market Agency Coordination Center, or DMAC as we call it, public health, uh, all, the, all the entities that should be at the table are at the table, and every day there are a series of meetings and objectives to try to, on the, the immediate thing is to address what's happening that day on the street. Right. But the, the longer term picture and the bigger picture is how are we gonna find better solutions? So those, those meetings are happening happening and uh, hopefully something positive will come out of that. Um, I, I do think, for instance, one of the things that we discussed today in today's uh, discussion was the um, public health will have a night team um, starting very soon that will do a lot of this work that we're talking about, engagement and trying to engage people and deal with addiction and try to get people in services at night. And that's been something that's been lacking. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in addition to what we do on the police side, that's going to be a welcome addition. So uh, another thing is, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about what is the alternative and what does that look like? I know the city does have bed space for, you know, addiction programs and addiction services. One of the gaps, though, continues to be how do we get people who need these services into those beds? If they're not going voluntarily, it's got to be involuntarily, and right now there's not a whole lot of options other than, yeah, other than us. There's no to, other option. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of it, and I I think that's 
that's the crux because that probably happens at the state level. Right. And so until there is the um, equivalent authority in a healthcare response, then. Right. All right. Great. I think that's it for now. I mean, on the on the skateboard bomb, I, I think that has there been discussions with the folks who organize, or maybe there wasn't people organizing that may be the problem, but I think that the the issue that came up when we were um, discussing it before was really how to have a different outcome after they're being held to get our um, the, our partners that deal with youth helping so that the issues of, if there were issues of not having access to bathrooms and stuff, those would be helped by our partners, um, Huckleberry, et cetera. But those folks were not um, on duty over the weekend. They don't work weekends. So right. um, are those conversations ongoing to try and get ahead of this next time? Yeah, uh, I personally have had you know one conversation with the director. With the director, I mean, there's been a lot of conversations on our, our side in terms of just ideas, but uh, one, me, I've had one conversation with the director uh, of Huckleberry, and it was a good conversation. But there's a lot more that we need to yeah. really try to vet out to see how we can be better as a you know collaborative agencies that that you know should be working together on these issues. Yeah, because I so. think there's, there's the issue of the event itself, which it's hard to, you know, that's one thing, but, but how to deal with large groups of youth if they're in that situation to make sure it doesn't happen again. So, right. okay, yes, well, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Yanez. Thank you, Acting President um, Carter Oberstone. Um, good evening, everyone. Sorry I couldn't be there physically, but. Um, I just am a little limited today, but I do want to follow up on uh, some of those items you just talked about, Chief. Um, I, you know, last time we met, you you had to be an article about uh, the uh, outcomes that are taking place in, in Portugal, right, with this decriminalization movement and some of the challenges that they're not now experiencing. And, and what I don't want us to lose uh, kind of... Uh, in this process is to, to understand the correlation between post-COVID, uh, you know, the increase in mental health issues across the nation uh, and the fact that there is an increase in substance use across the nation as a result of, you know, this increase in depression and in mental health conditions. And so as uh, to Max, uh, to Carter Oberstone's uh, point, you know, we, we really do need to have an outcome in mind that is not further criminalization of a mental health condition uh, or an untreated substance abuse issue, right? And so I'd like to know whether in those conversations uh, with that team that, you, that you're uh, meeting with daily that has the institutional partners like DPH, has there been a formal conversation about revisiting the lead program that you had mentioned was in practice for a few years ago that isn't necessarily about mandating treatment. It sounded more like in lieu of incarceration, you have the option of treatment, which looks very different than I'm arresting you, you're going to jail, 
and then if you want treatment, you can access it, and, which we know the, the outcomes have been very limited. That. So is there that conversation taking place about uh, revisiting how to structure a LEAD program potentially to address this issue long term? Well, it, when you say formal conversation, that conversation has happened. Um, it hasn't gotten to the point where we are developing a LEAD program, but we have talked about LEAD and the potential of LEAD in terms of um, adding value to this, this work. Um, you know, as you know, uh, Commissioner, there's a lot of parts to LEAD and it's, you know, definitely more than just the police department. As a matter of fact, the police department got zero funding for LEAD and we were one of the, for the pilot, uh, one of the biggest proponents to, to make that happen. Um, but some of the other agencies, it's, it's definitely a funding issue. Public health, you know, the both sides of the, of the prosecutorial and the public defender side, they all got funded for LEAD. Sheriffs might have gotten some funding. I don't know if they got any, but anyway, uh, I say all that to say, yes, the conversation, there have been conversations. There has not been a formal agreement that that's the direction that the city is going to go in it, but we definitely will we plan to keep that on the, on the radar, keep that on the map and see, see where it goes. Great, thanks. I mean, if there's anything that this commission can do to support your effort to, to um, kind of reestablish that effort, uh, please let us know, just because I know that, um, you know, that we, we do need a solution and, and we do not want to um, continue to go in a direction that isn't reaping the outcomes that we would hope. Um, you know, here, obviously, we want safer streets. We don't want public intoxication, but we also want to uh, hopefully address the underlying conditions that a lot of folks that are uh, using drugs have. And I know that it isn't solely our department. It is a collaboration that, that is going to make this uh, impact that we hope for. So uh, whether it's CART, LEAD, I feel like there, we need to uh, begin to advance some of those uh, previous efforts knowing that uh, they have had some success in different areas. I do want to have a, a little bit of, of more information if possible around the Hill Bomb incident. There was a report um, that apparently there was a number produced for how much overtime was utilized, something around $443,000. Is that accurate as far as you understand, Chief? Um, I don't know if it's accurate or not. I do know we did have a lot of officers on overtime, so I think I reported to this commission what the count was. I mean, we can do the math, but I, I don't know. I can't sit here and say that that number is accurate without actually doing the math. Will we be getting those numbers anytime soon? Because that was one of the explicit uh, questions and requests that we made at that commission hearing a few months ago. Uh, yes, we can get, we can provide those numbers. I mean, I, I think I did provide the deployment numbers and we'll just put how many of those. I mean, yes, we can do that. I mean, I think it's important for the public to understand that when we make a large investment of time and energy, there's a cost attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. And considering that if it was just 143000 in overtime, that doesn't take into account the eight-hour shifts that come up to about $100,000, maybe even more. Uh, you know, it's, it's an investment. It's a major investment in an operation that, uh, you know, obviously received a lot of uh, concern, criticism, and some of it merited, right? Um, without delving into uh, 
you know, the investigation that's happening internally and whatever DPA is doing to follow up with individual uh, reports or complaints. Um, I did ask, and I know that I understand as far as uh, a majority of the juveniles who were charged, it is my understanding the cases have been dropped. And I wanted to know specifically whether the department was going to be able to uh, clear those records, remove any report or any trace of those individuals who were caught maybe in the Kettling incident and then the charges were dropped for them no longer to have records. Has that taken place? Do we know what mechanism to, um, uh, imp to, to utilize to be able to remove those records for those young people whose uh, charges were dropped? I believe that's a part of what juvenile probation does already, but I, I rather than, I'll verify that. Um, I'll verify that and, and I can circle back uh, the next police commission or the one after because I'll be in training next week actually and out of town but definitely we'll verify that commissioner please because that's very uh, you know some of the members of the public that came and expressed concern uh, you know detailed how difficult it is to remove whether it's through a clean slate program or in any other you know uh, avenue that a person pursues it's really difficult to remove uh, some of those records from a person's uh, history and, and, I, and I do not believe that the probation department, but I don't quote me either. Uh, so I think it is something that we really need to figure out so that those individuals that, that, that do not need to have a record do not have a record uh, for being at a public park uh, during this incident. Um, and the last question around this is, it's not something that you need to answer, but I understand that, and these are different incidents, but I understand that uh, New York recently banned kettling as a result of uh, some of the issues that they had, in, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. Is, is kettling something that is part of any of our DGO protocols? And is there any consideration for uh, whether it's removing the practice or limiting the practice? Um, ha has that crossed your desk or is that something that you've thought about? Well, I, by kettling, are you talking about uh, mass arrests? The process of kind of enclosing, uh, you know, directing people into a place where, you know, they will be arrested in a mass arrest situation. Um, because my understanding is a lot of young people, at least per the testimony, and I know that these investigations aren't completed, a lot of the young people that were arrested were actually not even part of the Hill Bomb incident, right? Some of them claimed that they didn't hear the message, they were just walking through the neighborhood and they got kettled into this mass arrest incident. And so the practice itself seems to be a very concerning practice that will uh, inevitably, um, at least the way it did in New York, lead to lawsuits, right? And so is that something that we're going to consider moving forward, cons given the fact that, um, you know, a lot of young people and maybe young adults were also caught in a kettling incident during this mass arrest at the Hillbop? Well, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with what New York PD is doing, but I, I will say this, you know, we always have to look at and reflect on you know when we have an incident of this nature or of any nature of this 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 scale of what went wrong what didn't go what what went right and i'm sure we'll have some lessons learned from this but there is a place for um 
in, in our tactics in, in the law, actually, as well, for unlawful assemblies and, and their tactics on how you handle an unlawful assembly when you have a, a large amount of people. And one of the things that is uh, supposed to happen is you're supposed to give people an avenue of egress. Um, you're supposed to block streets and, and block sidewalks so they can use that avenue of egress for those that want to leave and give them an opportunity to do that. I do, we heard you know, loud and clear from many people that you know, stood in the commission and talked about some folks were just caught in that situation and they were told to go one way and the other way. And those are all things that we have to look at and evaluate and, and, and see you know, what we can do if we're ever in this situation again to not have that happen. But I don't think it's a wise idea to say that we just throw out the practice of you know, making large mass arrests because there are situations, uh, having have lived through many of them, where that is absolutely appropriate, it's the right thing to do, the safest thing to do, and to just ban it all together, I think, would be unwise um, and not in the best interest of public safety. So my answer to you, Commissioner, is let's look at what we did right and let's look at what we didn't do as, as well as we sh should and then come up with the training necessary to not make the same mistakes twice if we made mistakes, which I'm sure we made some. But to ban it outright, I mean, I haven't seen what New York is doing, and I don't know why they would do that with the number of mass protests that they have, but if they did it, I'm sure there's a reason for it. But I, I just think they're, they're, we have to have a way to deal with that situation because we do get those situations from time to time, particularly when there's civil unrest and riot-type situations, and you have to have a way to deal with that uh, and deal with a large amount of people at one time. And, and without the ability to do that, you're kind of helpless. So I, I would say uh, not. We haven't looked at a, abandoning that, abandoning, 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 I can't even say the word, I'm sorry, uh, the process of making mass arrests. I, I, I've heard the term kettling. I just needed some clarity of what that means to you because it means different things to different people. We don't call it that, but we do have mass arrests, and we call our tactic encirclement. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure that I heard the word kettlebit when, when the presentation took place, but whether it's kettling or, or a different approach, um, I, it, it's, I'm glad that it isn't a, a door that we're closing. If you're saying that there are, there's still an ongoing analysis of what we did well, what maybe went wrong, you know, I, I don't want to take that off the table just because it has led um to to some grief for a lot of people um is there a, and this is my last question on the hill bomb incident is there a timeline when we can expect uh the this analysis of your report not necessarily the investigation from dpa or internal affairs but just a, a, an update on uh is, is specifically these points what went well what went wrong and how we're going to make sure that the kids that got caught up in this situation uh, no longer have a record yeah, I think some some of this will come from there's a of course there's a lot of people that have to be interviewed and I'm sure those interviews are ongoing in terms of the the public investigation or the public complaints and you know I'm sure we'll learn something from those interviews as well that will help in this analysis. Um, so I don't you know we can look at this from our own eyes and say what we think, but I do think it's a good practice. I believe it's a good practice to actually hear what people have to say and 
bake that into the analysis as well, and, and um, because I'm sure we'll learn something from all these interviews that we'll, we'll get a lot of uh, different perspectives. So to answer your question, I think we, you know, we, we'll, we'll have it, but to do a complete job, we need all perspectives and see what some of the people who were impacted by this are saying or have said. Got it. Thank you very much. Seeing no names in the queue, Sergeant, could you take us to public comment? members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item five, the chief's report, please approach the podium. Thank you. I, it was a little long, but it's okay. I should, I should have spoken to the, the first section of the public comments, but it's okay. As you know, probably now, my, my personal mission, can you hear me? Personal mission is, is just more like general, you know, I don't, can be specific, but uh, it seems to me that uh, you have to be more, a bit more serious. Huh? You are attacked on both sides. Yeah? Now you have a Mad Max. It's Mad Max uh, riffraff in the street, I see. And on the other side, you are attacked. Remember, the, the fire department can't extinguish the fire anymore. Huh? What's coming to San Francisco might be very bad. You know about this thing they use, technology. So you, a chief, I mean, the police is here to arrest the criminals. I mean, come on. And you are not a doctor. It's not your job. So we have to stop asking him, uh, what does he do for the drug addict? I mean, come on. You have to arrest the drug dealers. That's it. It seems. Come on. It's objective. Uh, what else did I? Yeah, I think there is something wrong with this autonomous car here. What is this? Autonomous car. You see them all over the place. So they take away jobs, that's another story. They take away jobs, now they create traffic and they feel ugly and it's ugly and it, it's, it looks, it's spooky, it's coming. So maybe the, your next car is gonna be just a car on his own with guns and what is this? We don't want to live in this society, guys. So uh, at some point, wake up really seriously. <laughs> I'm here to try my best to stop you, you know. But everybody has his own responsibility here. Come on. It's important to understand this now. Here is a link for you, please. And that is the end of public comment. Next item, please, Sergeant. Line item six, DPA director's report discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Executive Director Henderson. Thank you. Uh, so currently, uh, we have opened uh, quite a few more cases uh, this year than we had last year. We're at uh, 500 and 44 cases have been opened so far this year. Uh, the same time last year, we were at 468 cases. Uh, we have uh, 298 cases that are currently pending uh, and open in the office. Uh, we have sustained 39 cases so far this year and mediated 19 cases. We have 21 cases whose investigations have uh, gone over nine months while we continue to work on them. Uh, and of those 21 cases, 17 of the cases are told, meaning they have uh, restrictions where time is not being told or counted, either from criminal or civil legal issues outside of the agency. Uh, there are currently still seven pending cases 
uh, with the commissioners themselves pending outcomes, and there are 86 cases pending outcomes uh, with the chief's office. Uh, in the past four weeks, uh, we received uh, 57 uh, new cases. 56 of them were SFPD. One of them was uh, with the sheriff's office, but a total of 104 allegations. Of those cases, uh, the highest top allegation received, 18% uh, of them, in fact, was for neglect of, of duty with an allegation that the officers failed to take required action. For the full list of the 100%, you can check on the website. All of these numbers are posted there as well. I won't read all of them to you. I'm just reading the top summaries. In terms of the allegations uh, that we received, regarding uh, the police department. Uh, the top two allegations were for one tied uh, three each uh, use of force uh, allegations and uh, misconduct related to improperly arresting someone that they don't believe should have been arrested. In terms of the district breakdown, in terms of where uh, folks are getting arrested, uh, the not arrested, I'm sorry. In terms of the district breakdown, in terms of where complaints have come in about which precincts, uh, the top precinct for this time period uh, was the Tenderloin, uh, and seven of the allegations came from the Tenderloin. Um, the highest uh, complaint there were for officers failing to respond to calls for service. Uh, the next two are tied with Central and Bayview, uh, one was the allegations at Central uh, surrounded individuals uh, making allegations that officers failed to cite and arrest individuals. Uh, and the Bayview allegations were regarding uh, how complainant's property gets released. In terms of audit, we are still, uh, again, the full allegations with all of them are uh, located on the website as well as the numbers. Uh, in terms of the audit, uh, and with the misconduct audit, we are still waiting for uh, the independent review, which is one of the steps that must be taken to validate the audit. Uh, that audit is still with the controller's office. I'll continue to give you updates until we get the review back from the controller's office to complete that step. Uh, once we receive that, uh, final report back. We'll provide a copy of that draft uh, to the police department for their review and for their response, which is the next step. In August, uh, we reported, uh, it was reported to DPA that the department did not conduct any investigations governed by DGO 8.10 and 2022. Uh, we are following up with the department on the status recommendations made to the prior audits. Those were mostly about policy clarifications, which are very important, as well as the destruction of privacy files amongst some other issues. So we're still waiting for those things. As part of the multi-prong approach to complaints related to the Dolores Park Hill bombing, we are looking at rolling some of those allegations that we've been talking about into an audit, specifically addressing uh, either crowd control and or event management process. I'm gonna give you an update on the hill bombing again before you 
uh, get to those questions. Um, in terms of outreach, uh, we did a couple of community uh, outreach events uh, during the break, uh, both with Mo Magic and with B Magic, where we staffed uh, those community engagement events, uh, talking with the community about the role of DPA, and we had staff there at both of the events during the summer. Uh, we're also now sharing information on Meta's Threads application, uh, just an extension of some of the social media about things related to DPA, of what we're doing, including uh, posts that are on X, formerly Twitter. Uh, and we are in the planning uh, process now of a community event focused on mediation, so more details to follow on that. Uh, also, last week, we... Uh, participated and had an event with the department, and I want to thank the chief for coming out, uh, honoring the retirement of Mike Nevin, um, who was the acting captain at the academy, uh, in large part with the work that he had done with our office. Just as a reminder, from 2016, uh, he worked with DPA when we wrote collectively uh, the use of force policy that ended up being the model for the state of California's use of force policy. It's a big deal and we just want to acknowledge that work. Uh, in terms of the uh, hill bombing, one of the things that uh, we had promised to do was to get the commission an update on the investigations from DPA as well and you'll have that update in writing uh, before the end of this week. And in that report, uh, we will address uh, some of the quantified time from the DPA side in terms of the investigation, uh, the amount of work involved, as well as some of the challenges and outright blocks that we're finding uh, to complete and engage in the investigation. But that work is continuing. Uh, we've also been involved. I didn't want to not mention uh, last week's officer-involved shooting that we're also investigating as well. So we're in the middle of that as well. Uh, there's one case this evening that's in closed session. Uh, also present here uh, in the hearing room today is uh, Matt Stonecipher, the senior uh, investigator. Also our chief of staff, Sarah Hawkins, is here, and our director of policy. I'd like to call up briefly our newest outreach director, Carolyn Weisinger, to come and introduce herself. So I can introduce her to all of you. Uh, you probably received the notification today. I think we sent it to everyone uh, from the announcement about her new position, but this is our new director of outreach, uh, and I wanted to show her off for all of you so and welcome her to the work. She couldn't be happy to have her here. Thank you so much, Director Henderson. Good evening um, to the commission, Vice President Carter Oberstone. Um, I'm very familiar with Commissioner Walker, so good to see you. Look forward to meeting the rest of the commissioners. I'm um, just servicing our community and, and bringing more of the folks to the table so we can continue to do the work that you have charged DPA to do. So thank you again. You're supposed to speak for 10 minutes. I'm supposed no, to speak for 10 kidding. minutes. I, was just I, was just I mean, I can't speak for enough. <laughs> yes, you can. You can too. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Uh, if anyone else has information uh, that they need to share with DPA, uh, the website is sfgov.org forward slash DPA. You can also contact us at any time, 415-241-7711. I'll reserve the remainder of my comments for the agenda items as they come up. 
that completes my report. Thank you, Director. I just wanted to uh, wish a warm welcome to Carolyn, and thank you so much for your decision to, to join the DPA and, and um, do all that important work. Commissioner Byrne. Thank you. Um, just one question. I know I know you're going to do a report on yep. on it. Uh, approximately, how many complaints has uh, DPA received relating to the officer's conduct uh, on the Dolores Hill incident? No, I have to get back to you. I have to tell you. So that'll be in the report. How many officers? It won't be, but I, it wasn't going to be. But I can add that. Uh, yeah, obviously, I would like to see how many. Thank you. All right, seeing no questions in the queue, Sergeant, can we go to public comment? <clears throat> For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item six, DPA director's report, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Next item, please. Line item seven, commission reports, discussion and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to counter any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and scheduling of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Commissioner Walker. A couple of things that I know it's been a long month, so I kind of forget some of this stuff that um, I've been doing. And it always seems like we're not meeting, but there are more meetings that happen in August outside of this one. But um, I've been meeting ongoingly. Um, Deputy Chief Flaherty um, and a group of folks from the department, as well as um, Director Ellis from the um, Commission on the Status of Women have been uh, meeting pretty regularly to discuss recruiting women into the force. Um, the next meeting is going to happen. We're, we're going to be meeting specifically about the child care issue to see if there's something that we can do to really move forward child care programs for our officers. Um, you know, I would like to see one near every station we have. I think it would help a lot of people, um, especially with all the overtime that we're asking of them lately. So. I'm really excited about that because I think it's really going to be helpful going forward. Um, I've also been meeting to um, have the discussion about the patrol specials program um, with various staff um, and community um, to talk about that issue. Um, it's so complicated just going through getting the history and the current status and figuring out what it is and, and what we're, we're all going to try and uh, either have it on the next meeting agenda or the, the last one in September, but we will have it on the agenda this, to, to discuss what we've uh, sort of come up with and, uh, and talk with the commission about um, what the program might be for future. Um, there's a lot of issues that come up with the patrol specials, just so people know it's, a, it's actually private security that has um, that was created actually at the beginning of San Francisco before we had a police department to enforce our laws. It's carried forward um, even to the current day. But um, it's you know it's a it's a tool that may may be helpful um, in working with um, our partners in the private sector. So um, I look forward to the discussion about that. Um, we're going to be meeting with the city attorney and. Um, um, 
Assistant Chief Lazar and some of the other folks to to get current about just the legal status of it so that we'll have a good presentation to start the discussion here at this level. So I'm really excited about that because I think it might be helpful. So that's my update. Commissioner Yee. Thank you very much there, uh, Acting President uh, Carter Opestone. Um, just want to report that uh, I was uh, out at the Chinatown night out today. It was great to see the chief here and also our new captain over at Central Station, uh, Eric Kim. I also want to thank uh, the acting uh, captain, uh, Mark uh, Moreno, for all his work in keeping us safe in the Chinatown. Uh, Chinatown Night Out was, uh, came about close to, this is the ninth um, anniversary, and we probably skipped two years during the COVID. So uh, 11 years ago, it's decided by um, one of the community leader, Rose Park, to have a, the Chinatown community come out and meet the police. As, uh, well, many of the residents in Chinatown live in SROs, and it's pretty difficult for them to, you know, travel across a couple of blocks and at night and stuff like activity. So they held it, uh, they hold it at the Portsmouth Square, and over close to 500 people are there ten, tonight. Um, enjoying themselves in this beautiful weather. Uh, great to see everybody out there in the community and building trust along the community and the officers. So I want to thank uh, that team for that. Also, um, on um, Labor Day weekend, uh, on Saturday, uh, September 2nd, uh, we had our third annual San Francisco Chinatown car show and parade. So we had uh, got to meet the new uh, captain then, but uh, there's also a certificate that for <clears throat> our recruiting uh, team that was here. I want to thank uh, Sergeant Reynolds for bringing out the Ford Fairlane. Uh, it reminds me of the streets of San Francisco. So I was looking for Mike Douglas and Carl Malden. So it's uh, good to see that car out there. Maybe next time we'll be the CAD. So they have a certificate and appreciation for the San Francisco Police Department. So should I present it to the chief? Thank you, chief. Thank you. We take a picture. Uh, this is uh, it's a community base, and uh, many of the volunteers and um, people that came from out of town, they got to enjoy a wonderful weekend, a nice and sunny and festival event. So hopefully we can roll it out throughout the city of San Francisco and all the neighborhoods, not just only Chinatown. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Yee. Just a couple updates for me. Um, in uh, early, I believe it was early July or late June, um, the working group for DGO 810 for uh, First Amendment investigations uh, concluded. I just want to thank DPA, the department, and all of the community members who donated their time to uh, participate in a five-day, or, or I should say five meetings of, of working groups um, and provided a lot of really helpful feedback. 
I did want to agendize two things. Um, the first is that in the last couple of days, um, a flurry of communications was forwarded to the commission between DPA and the department about um, DPA requesting documents, uh, BWC footage, investigation reports from the department in connection with its investigation of officer-involved shootings and the department declining to turn over uh, those materials that were requested. This is obviously a very important issue. DPA has a charter mandate to investigate officer-involved shootings. Um, and so I would like to agendize this issue and hear from both the department and DPA on what exactly the nature of the dispute is. Um, I'm, I would like DPA and the department to provide the commission in advance an explanation of their respective positions with citation to legal authority or whatever authority um, they think supports their position so that the commission can kind of take this issue up and we'll send um, we'll send more detailed instructions shortly on that the other thing I wanted to agendize is um, the uh, our vehicle pursuit policy uh, the chase policy um, in the last few months there's been a slew of grievous injuries and deaths resulting from um, uh, car chases, um, in, in, I should say deaths of innocent and injuries of, of innocent bystanders. Um, I think that we last updated this policy nine or ten years ago. I think in, in light of these recent tragedies, uh, it's incumbent on the commission to, to take up the issue and just see if uh, best practices have changed in the last decade, if we can see what other departments are doing in other jurisdictions that may be working better. Um, the, and frankly, the, uh, the other thing that I'll just acknowledge frankly about this is that I have seen in various corners of the internet um, people blaming this commission's chase policy for the recent uptick in vehicle thefts. And I, you know, this is, I just wanted to acknowledge this head on because I think it's, it's something that's, that I've seen in, increasingly in the last couple of weeks. It's something that, you know, I think that our, you know, our chase policy, we, we should certainly take a hard look at it and see if we can improve it. It can't possibly be the cause of increase in vehicle theft, though. We, we know that for certain because it's been on the books for a decade, whether vehicle thefts are up or down. Um, and vehicle thefts also happen to be up all across the country, including in jurisdictions uh, that have much different chase policies than we do. So it's clearly not causal. Um, our, our policy may, may need to be improved, um, but it's certainly not uh, the cause of, of those, um, of the increase in vehicle thefts. And I just do feel the need to acknowledge this because I think there is an increased uh, desire to promulgate, I think, falsehoods about how the San Francisco city government works, and in particular, how this commission works, and blaming this commission for, um, you know, uh, changes in, in crime rates, and uh, I, I just think that we should be more forthright about acknowledging that, I think, unfortunate political reality and, and meeting it head on. So I hope to have a, a good discussion about the status of our chase policy and how it can be improved in 
due course. That is it for me, Commissioner Walker. I'm sorry, I forgot um, one thing. I I was we were given an email by um, our our sergeant to attend one of the the drafting or the uh, um, the policy um, writing departments, um, and we were looking at the specific DGO about drafting DGOs and. Um, to your point of the commission being blamed for things, I mean, I think that, that sometimes we complicate the process of law enforcement a lot um, in ways that don't work, so it's good to always review them, which is what we were doing with the, the, dra the DGO about writing DGOs. And I mean, it, it, I, would, I would invite and encourage all my fellow commissioners to go to some of those um, meetings because when you break down some of the DGOs, just the one about drafting and the calendar, and we talk a lot about missing the dates and why aren't we responding in a timely fashion, it's really confusing as to what the time schedule is and the calendaring dates are and who's responsible for what. So um, the more cooks you put in the kitchen, the more complicated it is to cook the dinner. So I feel like I feel like in the conversation about what you're talking about, about who, who's responsible for what in our DGOs, one of the things we need to look at is what is our jurisdiction as a commission versus what is the day-to-day -day operation that the chief is responsible for. And then our position is to evaluate the chief's performance. Um, those are really important issues, I think, that we need to look at. So I, I encourage us to have that conversation. Um, about what is our jurisdiction and what is what is the day-to-day -day running of the department. Um, none of us are police officers. And so, you know, we can easily sit here and talk about policy and what we want to aim towards in achieving, but I think the challenge is how we get there and making sure we get the data to evaluate. So, um, you know, I think we have one of our most reform-minded and focused departments in the country, if not the world. I mean, I don't want to get that big, but um, I, I want to be supportive of the reform efforts that we are doing and also keeping our streets safe. So I just want to thank the, the department for the added coordination of our process of this so that, and we got our email today informing us of what the schedule is, and I think that that's a positive step forward to put us all on the same page and keep us in the conversation. So, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. I, I forgot to, to note two things. First, on the chase policy, I, I, in addition to a commission hearing, I want to convene an officer town hall so that we can hear directly from officers about their views and their experience implementing the policy and. Uh, their suggestions for amending it, if any. And, and the reason that I say this is because I think as written, our policy actually empowers officers to make the decision based on a laundry list of factors about whether a chase is appropriate or not. But I, I've also heard from officers that uh, they don't feel that way in practice, that there's so many factors that they have to weigh that it's it's not clear to them whether chase is permitted so that, that's something else I'd like to add to the potential revision of our chase policy and one other thing I, I wanted to agendize that I forgot um, is I would love to have a, a presentation from the department on its deployment practices 
and because I think um, one thing that we hear a lot is the department is understaffed, and it, it clearly is, um, and, and that's often a reason why we can't do certain things. Um, you know, there's multiple district stations that don't have, for example, any foot patrols, I'm, I'm told. Um, you know, we, we can't respond to certain calls for service in a timely manner. Um, but then, you know, as we discussed during the chief's report, we do have eight officers and a sergeant assigned full time to arresting drug users um, and other officers also participating in that effort on a part time basis. We can find hundreds of officers to arrest a bunch of kids for skateboarding. Ninety nine percent of them were not engaged in any real criminal conduct. And, and so we do hear on the one hand that staffing shortages are a reason why we can't do basic policing that, that we all want, like foot patrols, uh, but we also seem to find the resources to do uh, and engage in certain practices that, you know, like arresting drug users that I think have been shown to not be effective and not be the greatest use of our time. So I think, as Commissioner Walker said, this commission has no jurisdiction over day-to-day -day deployment, but I think it's an issue that the public is interested in, um, and that would be illuminating for many, including myself, so I'd love a presentation on that as well. And seeing no names in the queue. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Yan, yes. Thank you, Acting President uh, Carter Overstone. Uh, quick report on my end. Uh, we did uh, have some ongoing meetings to, uh, with the community partner at the Community Assessment Referral Center and trying to develop a design and, and program agreements for a pre-booking program. It's an ongoing conversation. It has been uh, very, very productive. Um, we also, uh, I also met with some members of the community who are very, very interested in doing some cross-training around youth development needs. Uh, they're very uh, versed in the community policing DGO and have asked for an introduction, which I will be following up with who the community liaison that the chief thinks is uh, the best person to put this group in touch with, um, which, uh, you know, I think it is something that considering the, the feedback that we received after the Hill bomb, um, it's a good place to be able to engage community and identifying what the best practices are. Um, in addition to that, uh, I did have a meeting also with uh, juvenile probation, uh, Commissioner to continue to discuss what the uh, what the dynamics and what the uh, collaboration with the juvenile probation department should look like uh, if and when we embark on this pre-booking program, uh, which was a very productive conversation. And the last question I uh, or the last update that I both want to uh, inquire about provided update and then also agendized is uh, about a month or two months ago, I think in, Ju in July, um, there was supposed to be an update about the, D the juvenile DGO draft 701. And as a result of the uh, turnout for the Hill bomb incident, we never received a draft update. I reached out to the contact person there, Asha Steves, and she indicated that I was gonna get a draft on August 16th, 
when I came back from my break, I inquired about where that draft stood, and I uh, was told that we still can't have a copy of the draft. And so I'd like to know, Chief, uh, why I can't see the draft and, and how we're supposed to design a program uh, with our community partners when we do not know what exactly the concerns from the SME and some of the legal entities in your department have purportedly raised but not necessarily delineated. Is, is that a question? That's for a question, yes. Why don't we have a draft? Yeah. yeah, Commissioner, I don't have an answer for you. I will get that answer for you. I did see that you sent a very lengthy email today, but I honestly have not had uh, an opportunity to read it. So I'll have to really get back to you, either in this commission in a public forum, or I can call you after I read your email. Because um, you had a, I, I scanned through it as I was walking out the door, headed to City Hall, and I know there was a lot of points that you raised in that email. So um, if you would please give me an opportunity to read it, and then I can get back to you either in this forum or privately. Uh, I mean, or it both. would be ideal to do it, yeah, in, in the public forum. I know that this draft has been just kind of laboring in the background there for at least six months. We ended the work groups, I think, in January or February. And for us not to be able to even view a draft of the draft is kind of concerning. So um, the email wasn't solely focused on the draft. There are some other uh, questions that I raised there, but I did want to make sure that we agendized uh, the juvenile DGO draft update um, so that we can resolve whatever concerns have been presented. And uh, that is my report. Thank you. Thank you, Sergeant. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item seven commission reports, please approach the podium. There is no public comment. Next item, please. Line item eight, presentation and discussion on SAPD and DPA Sparks reports, second quarter 2023 discussion. Good evening, uh, acting president, Carl Roperstone, commissioners, Chief Scott and Director Henderson. <coughs> I'm here tonight to uh, present the quarter two Sparks report. Um, but before I do that, I want to make sure I go back to quarter one, um, where we were asked to uh, provide the number of bureau orders in our Sparks report. And I want to point out that we, we did add a section for that. And um, there were seven uh, bureau orders that were issued in that quarter. Um, there was one new DGO that was issued um, in quarter two was investigated with social media accounts. Um, and that was the only new DGO for that quarter. Um, but beyond that, I wanna make sure that I, I um, communicate to you all that we expanded the written directors unit. It's now a division. It's, um, it's been um, centralized for our policy development processes. Uh, Ms. Audra Steves, who I'm sure you all know through the working groups and other um, um, department uh, interactions, is our, our manager. And she's taking on that lieutenant role of managing the processes as we go through it. We have three buckets that we are um, housed for units. Uh, one bucket will, will be uh, civilian staff that will manage our working group processes. Um, we have the written directors unit still. With, um, and we added a person, another officer for that unit because 
we've had some personnel changes um, in the last couple of months. But then <clears throat> more importantly is we have a policy development unit. We have three sergeants now that will be um, tasked with owning the policies. They'll be in charge of writing the policies. They'll be interviewing the SMEs. Um, we'll know exactly where the policies stand as they go through the process. Um, and it's all centralized to one division. Uh, we work directly for AC Flaherty, who then we report to the, to the chief. So our processes are now streamlined. Um, they're centralized. Um, we know exactly where we are and, and where we need to go. In, in saying that, bringing on the new members, we've started to do these workshops and starting to look at uh, DGO 3.01. We have, over the course of the time that I've been here, um, there's been a lot of discussion about um, intention of 3.01, the spirit of 3.01, and when we come to the commission meetings, we've noticed that um, the letter of the 3.01 is sometimes read verbatim. And so we are training our new members and ourselves to the policy and sticking to the policy so that we're on the same page as, as anyone who's reviewing what we're doing. We've invited um, the commissioners to come out and take a look at that and, and work through that with us. Um, I am happy to say, and I'm happy to hear that, you know, Commissioner Walker came out and engaged with us, uh, sat through a, through a workshop session, and we really appreciate that because we actually wanna work with all the commissioners and sit down and work through this, um, through the policies and get on the same page with how things are supposed to be developed. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll stop and, and take questions. Should we also, should we do a DPA's presentation first and then, uh, and then we'll have joint questions? Sure. Good evening, Vice President Carter Oberstone, Commissioners, Chief Scott, uh, Director Henderson, and members of the public. I'm Janelle Kaywood. I'm the Director of Policy at DPA, and I'm here to present a summary of DPA's second quarter 2023 policy work. Next slide. So here's just a quick roadmap of our work this uh, quarter. DPA recommended that all SFPD policies be publicly posted. We made 20 recommendations on three DGOs. We recommended that the department raise the age of missing children who get an expedited response from SFPD. And we also recommended that SFPD expand its body-worn camera usage and provide DPA access to SFPD's body-worn camera viewing platform. Next slide. Okay, getting into the details. In the second quarter, DPA recommended that the department put all active policies up on its website, including general orders, bureau orders, department notices, and unit orders. This is consistent with President Obama's final report on 21st century policing, which said all policies should be made publicly available to ensure transparency. Uh, the US Department of Justice 
echoed the same sentiment in 2016 in recommendation 68.3. So currently, SFPD only publicly posts DGOs, some department notices, and bureau orders that were enacted this year. Many policies continue to remain inaccessible to the public. Uh, we recommend that all active policies be indexed and publicly posted to comport with best practices. Uh, this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I hope that you checked your email today. There was some public comment that came in from members of the citywide crisis intervention working group. Um, DPA and the citywide crisis intervention working group jointly recommend that the department amend DGO 5.21 SFPD's policy on crisis intervention to require a minimum of eight sworn staff to rectify a long-standing problem that's not improved. So currently, um, my information might be a couple months old, but I believe there are two full-duty officers, one light-duty sergeant, and one light-duty officer. Um, these CIT officer trainings and the field service provided by the CIT unit has helped significantly to reduce the use of force during critical incidents with members of the public. Police shootings have also fallen as a result. The CIT unit has changed policing by introducing core concepts of creating time, distance, and building rapport during crisis incidents. But for the CIT unit, the department would not be in compliance with many DOJ recommendations. And moreover, uh, the CIT unit served as a national role model for how to implement crisis intervention techniques. It is the embodiment of police reform, and it needs your, your support. We understand SFPD has staffing issues. At the same time, we note that the department has had a budget increase and that other police units are growing and new units are being created. So DPA and the CIT working group jointly asked this commission and the department to take the necessary steps to support this important unit, which is changing the culture at SFPD. Next slide. Uh, we made, DPA made 20 recommendations on three DGOs uh, DGO 1.06, duty of superior officers. We did a lot of work on DGO 610, missing persons, which has been overseen by Commissioner Walker, and we appreciate her involvement. Um, I'd like to thank DPA senior investigator Chris Chisnall. Together, he and I made 17 recommendations to update this policy, and he was a, a, a lieutenant in uh, the UK before he came to DPA. We also made a couple of recommendations on the traffic DGO. We'd made earlier recommendations in 2021, but uh, two of this quarter. Um, and we were involved in some working groups. Next slide. So DPA participated in two robust community working groups. Um, my colleague, Jermaine Jones, participated in DGO 810 with Commissioner Carter Oberstone, and uh, both of us participated in the working group for DGO 10.11, the body-worn camera policy. Next slide. I'd just like to highlight some key policy recommendations that we made that are noteworthy regarding missing children. Under the current policy, which is from the 1990s, a missing child is only an exigent circumstance requiring an immediate search if the child is 11 and under. DPA recommended that the age be raised to 17 and under so that all missing youth get a priority response. This recommendation is consistent with California state law and would help protect teenagers and adolescents from the dangers of human trafficking. Uh, through, we also had some important recommendations regarding body-worn cameras. 
uh, through the, our, the working group on DGO 10.11, we recommended that the body-worn camera policy be changed to require the command staff, with the exception of the chief, to wear body-worn cameras when responding to critical incidents and interacting with the public. We believe there needs to be transparency and accountability for the decisions the command staff makes in the field, and we need, we believe that they should set a good example for the officers who are required to wear BWC. Currently, only sworn members of the rank of lieutenant and below are required to wear a body-worn camera. So we encourage all members of the department to um, embrace the body-worn camera. Uh, we also recommended that SFPD give DPA access to its body-worn camera viewing platform because it will help with information flow, it will reduce our server costs, it will provide DPA access with a whole suite of tools present on the platform, including the ability to watch four videos at once. Importantly, there are no confidentiality concerns because SFPD can still review and redact the BWC as they currently do before providing us access. Next slide. And this is gonna be a standing policy item. It's very important to DPA uh, in 2022 DPA recommended that SFPD form a working group with DPA academic partners, uh, SFPD's IT division, and experts on traffic stop data to ensure that SFPD's systems are up to date, that our traffic stop data can be validated, and that officers are entering stop data accurately. This work, working group hasn't been formed yet. We haven't gotten traction on this issue, uh, and we continue to recommend that the department follow this recommendation and that this working group be formed. As retired Chief Harold Medlock from North Carolina said uh, during his earlier presentation on the pretext stop policy, police traffic stop data belongs to the community it serves. Thank you. Director Henderson. Yeah, I, just, uh, I saw, I heard earlier where you were just talking about that, uh, the thing, I think, uh, Commissioner Walker was talking about the problems you're invited to talk about with 3.01. Was DPA there because there's a whole, we weren't? No, I don't think so. We, we weren't invited meeting? to those meetings. So we are? We, were we have not been. Well, how do we have a conversation about the DGO if we're not at the table to have the conversation? I can answer that. We had several conversations with, with DPAs, your DPA members. They elected not to engage with us because they want to hear from the chief to hear his opinion. The chief can't give his opinion until we finish the workshops and, and write our recommendation statements. So until that's done, the chief can't give an opinion. So DPA but declined to participate in the? DPA declined because they said that they thought that they wanted to hear from the chief, his position, before they would engage with us. That's not accurate. Well, we have an email that says so. Well, I think there's been a miscommunication. I've never heard of this meeting uh, with this unit, with the commissioners on writing DGOs. We have had several conversations with DPA about the interpretation and the, and the written language of 3.01. That's true. There was a meeting that was called from the department that involved the commissioner. Was DPA invited to that meeting? No. Okay. Because prior to that, they had already declined to engage with us on the discussion of 3.01. Clearly, we're having a miscommunication. Um, if if we, we can address this offline. 
All right, thank you, Director Kaywood. Thank you, Captain Toomer, for your respective presentations. I have questions for the Chief, Captain Toomer, and Director Kaywood. So I'll just start by asking the Chief, um, do, you, do you have a position on DPA's four recommendations? So I'll just stop there. Which ones? Uh, so the recommendations were that uh, all members of command staff below the chief should wear body-worn cameras when interacting with the public or, or responding to critical incident. There was the working group um, around uh, auditing, verifying the accuracy of our stop data. Uh, 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 posting all policies to the website, so whether you call it bureau order, department notice, um, and now I'm forgetting the fourth uh, recommendation. Um. Yeah, so on the first one, uh, that's the body-worn camera policy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. And the last one was also body-worn camera related. It was access to the uh, BWC platform. platform. Yeah. Yeah, so in body-worn camera, the, the policy in, on critical incidents, I don't see an issue with Command staff wearing body body worn cameras on critical incidents. Um, I do think there are situations where definitely it's inappropriate, and um, but I get the spirit of what that what that is. On the second issue, on the the working group, and what was the other one? There's it's two, the the platform. Uh, one of the things that I hope that people understand is. You know, we got a million things going on, and we have to prioritize what we have our folks do. And, you know, it's something that may sound as simple as uploading all the policies, for instance, the bureau orders. That requires that we look through decades of bureau orders and clean out the ones that need to be uh, deactivated or whatever before we post them, and that is the plan. So there's processes and people required to do a lot of these requests, and I do think it's somewhat unfair for these ideas to be, you know, launched at us and then we snap a finger and drop everything we're doing to do something new. We have reform that we have to finish by April. We have more work than we have people to do, so we have to prioritize. And, and what I would ask is some understanding about when these demands are made, what type of work it really takes to do what's being asked of us so we can prioritize our work because when we pull people off to do this, something else is drops, and then we're in here talking about that. So, Commissioner, you mentioned you know the day-to-day -day operations of the department, which is the role of the chief of police. I think deployment and prioritizing work and all that is a part of that function. And you know, these are not bad ideas, but a lot of these ideas take a lot of people, a lot of work, a lot of thought. in an environment where we don't have enough people to do the work that we already have in front of us. So that's all that I would say in terms of that. I don't disagree with a working group, but a working group to create a platform to create, to, to, to look at stop data, that's not, a, that's not a small thing. And so let us prioritize our work and then let's have a conversation about what that actually is gonna take to, to actually do that. You know, we get, you know, which is fine. Public inquiry is fine. It's a part of it's a part of, you know, what the commission does, and I should be answering these questions. But I do say this: um, 
we are repurposing our people. We just, as the, uh, the captain just stated, took three sergeants out of the field just to try to keep up with the DGO process. That is five times what it's been over the last 30 years. So I can repeat this over and over again because we live with this every day. We don't have enough people to do all the work that's, that's on us, so we need to prioritize. Thanks, Chief. I, I just, just to restate the question, understanding that there's uh, resource constraints, my question was whether you supported the recommendations, whether you think that they should be implemented or you disagree and you don't think they should be implemented. So yes, I thought I'd said S it. Separate issue about the timeline for implementation, how many, how many, how long it will take to implement. I'm just asking you, do you agree or not agree with the four recommendations made? The concept, yes. I do think, though, that the concepts are just that. We have to work through what that actually takes. Because if I say yes, I agree with it, then we're kind of stuck with, okay, make it happen. And th these things need to be thought through. You know, the concepts, yes. Working group to talk about stop data and all these things that we, that we have to do, yes, absolutely. But that's not what was said. The, the, you know, the recommendations need to be worked through is, is the other part of that. Okay, so it sounds like you support them at a conceptual level, but with the details, you may, you may not support uh, them as currently written might require further amendment. That's, that's, that's fairly accurate. That's yes. fair. Okay. I, I think we have to look at what it, what it takes to do it. Yeah. Okay, great, thank you. I just had a couple questions for Captain Toomer. Um, Captain, we, we obviously, we emailed and we spoke about some of the DGOs that I've been charged with overseeing about 3.01 compliance and delays. And just gonna ask you a couple questions uh, around things that, that we've spoke about privately. Um, so as I read 3.01, it, it did look like to me like there were uh, some lapses for two of the DGOs that I'm charged with overseeing, whose revision I'm charged with overseeing, where there were delays and an extension of time was not requested. Um, and that's for DGO 6.08, um, where the working group finished in April, and then it was September when it was publicly posted. Right, so like a five-month delay there that I don't seem doesn't seem to be contemplated by 3.01 to me, and then um, DGO 9.05, uh, there was a substantial delay before it was sent to con concurrence, and another multi-month delay, um, and just wanted to ask you what the department's position was on that. Why why no extensions of time were sought? Um, in both cases, there is no. Um, need for an extension of time because there are the, those periods were non-designated timelines, periods. The public comment um, per 3.01 calls for a 30-day posting of the, of the public comment, of the, of the policy for public comment. It doesn't say when it has to go to public comment. When we started this um, public comment process back in March, um, we communicated out to the commission, to DPA, and we agreed upon that, <clears throat> that we would submit one DGO for public comment in a 10-day increment. We put out the initial schedule. Um, we were following that schedule. Um, and up until this month, we've noticed, because, and go back, the reason why we did that was because we didn't, it was a new process, and we didn't know how many comments would come in. We didn't know how many responses we had to uh, respond to 
we didn't know what that workload looked like. And so that was the re initial reason to, to stagger them that way. As these DGOs came up, although it was ready in April and it was submitted by the extension deadline date, it was ready for public comment, but we, at that time we had a queue of policies waiting to go up. There's no way to, to push that forward if we're doing one policy every 10 days. It, it got in line. So it, it made it to the next step. It just didn't get posted because it was a queue of, of policies ahead of it. But 6.08 was not in that letter that you sent to the commission, was it, where you proposed a, a posting schedule like the one that so, – so you proposed a posting schedule that was not contemplated by 3.01, and you reached out to the commission, and that's great. Um, uh, because you wanted to not post too many at the same time. But I don't believe 6.08 was one of the DGOs where the department requested that exception to have delayed posting. So there was that five-month gap in time, and there was no request. There was no request for an extension, and it wasn't, I don't think, I don't believe part of the letter that you sent where you listed those DGOs out where you wanted to ha have a kind of delayed. So... The initial schedule went out, and it, is, it stopped at a certain period of time. So as the DGOs continued to go through the process, they would, again, fall into the queue. We, we did note that in one of the Sparks reports, I think it was quarter one, Sparks report, when that was going to be posted. All right. Well, I guess I'll, I'll move on from that. I just wanted to pick up on something else that you said in response to this and that we talked about offline, which is you know, 3.01 is a step-by-step -step process, right? There's, there's step one, there's step two, there's uh, you know, working groups in some cases, then there's concurrence, uh, uh, public posting rather than concurrence. Um, the DGO lays out a number of steps to happen sequentially. And one thing that you said is that in between each of these steps, and in particular, I think you said in between stage two and public comment, there's the, the DGO doesn't, the DGO is, I guess, the way you read it, silent. And so the department can wait before it start before it sends it to public comment, or it can wait before it sends it to concurrence because, for example, the 40 day clock for concurrence doesn't start until. I guess the first day of concurrence in your view, not when the prior step ends. Is that, is that right? And I'm saying that's, your, but it's that's, not. That's correct. It's not yes. your, it's. That's, it's, uh, that's what the policy says. Okay. And so this strike, this is a pretty, I think, shocking reading of 3.01, right? So just to back up for members of the public, 3.01 is the regulation that lays out how the Commission passes regulations. It was revamped in a couple of years ago because of uh, unreasonable delays in the promulgation of policies, something that's in the 2016 DOJ report that criticized this department for um, not being able to promptly revise its policies. And to this day, we still have on the books a number of policies that haven't been revised in a quarter century. 3.01 lays out a number of steps that need to happen in order. So imagine a teacher says, your first draft is due in you know, two weeks. Your second draft is due 
two weeks after that, and the final draft is due two weeks after the second draft. I think most people who hear that would say, okay, the final draft is due in six weeks. But what you're saying is, no, 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 no. We can take as long as we want between the first and second draft. The, the two-week clock for the second draft doesn't start till I start writing. And so actually, I could never turn in this paper before I even graduate. And so to me, that, that's just that reading of 3.01 can't possibly make sense. Um, and I do, I do want to just ask, Chief, if you're apprised of this issue, do you, do you, do you agree with this interpretation of 3.01? Well, I, I don't agree with how you just uh, described that. I, I, you know, first of all, nobody's saying we can take as long as we want. Um, well, okay, well, then, and I don't want to cut you up, but in your response, if you're not saying you can take as long as you want, under your reading, what is the limit on how much time you can take? Because I it, didn't hear one. There are, there are sections in 3.01 that don't have time limits. So that is true. I mean, we've read this policy ad nauseum, and there's many different interpretations. Um, but I think the characterization is that, you know, we're just going to not respond to these policies and take as long as we want. That's not what's happening. Um, so, no, I don't agree with that. I do think, I do believe that there are gaps in this policy where there are no timelines determined. So, and I actually have a chart, and I hope we, you know, at some point we'll agendize this, but that's part of what we're trying to do is have discussions, um, as we have said, with commissioners and others. So when we come to the commission with here's our recommendations, here are the gaps that we see, that we have a thoughtful list of things that the commission can, can consider with the revision of 3.01. There are sections in 3.01, I agree with the captain, Captain Toomer, where there are no timeline determinants. Now there's the overall, you know, 100, you know, whatever the days are, that is, that is true, but there are some gaps in the policy. And part of this is not trying to just blow off, you know, uh, deadlines. Part of this is managing the work, as I just tried to explain before, um, you know, the posting, the concurrences. I mean, DPA sits in these concurrences. Sometimes we'll have three scheduled and we'll get through one. And, you know, we do have to manage the flow of work. You know, we, we, we have, I think the number is 25 policies since around this time last year, which is a lot, you know, it's a lot. And I'm proud of that and happy for that accomplishment, but with that comes a lot of process, a lot of work, a lot of hands touching these policies. So. Some of this is not about the department trying to, 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 to not fulfill its responsibilities. We do have to manage this, this workflow because we're taking on more than in anybody's memory that we've done in terms of DGO revision. So I, I would just you know, say it that way. Um, there, are some, there are some areas where there, there are no timelines. Right, and, 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 and 3.01 provides a remedy for when you're, you're overwhelmed and you have a lot to revise and there's not gonna be time to finish. It, it, it's a simple remedy, you just ask for an extension and you say why you need it. So, it's, so nobody's, saying that, nobody's saying that you can't request more time and you have to comply with a rigid deadline no matter what, but again, in your answer, you never provided under the interpretation I just heard announced any limitation on how long the department could take, for example, to send something to concurrence. 
under the view under the view that you you know that 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 you are I guess supporting now. Uh, the department could take 10 years before sending something to concurrence. I'm no, not saying I, that would happen, but that well, is, but, but that's the position. Yeah, and so I think you, what, to one thing, an example, the department but, could take. But let me, can I just, but can I finish? Can other sheet? people talk to, I mean, commissioner, I see your name in the queue. You're, you're next yeah. up and, and I've got you. Don't worry. I won't forget. Um, one thing that, that captain Toomer and I did agree on and I, that I agree with chief that he just said is that 3.01 does need to be revised substantially. Yeah. It, and I think it absolutely must be a commission-led revision process. I think we've already seen a number of issues arise that are concerning. We've got this latest interpretation that would grant the department unlimited time, essentially, to revise a DGO. We had the promulgation of unlawful bureau orders in contravention of 3.01. And we've had prior instances of failure to, to ask for an extension of time uh, without any excuse. Um, those lapses, I think, are pretty serious. I think we need to take, I think I agree with Chief, some 3.01 could be clarified. We should clarify it. But I think the commission absolutely must take the lead on this. This is about the commission, the core of the commission's jurisdiction. And I think we have to just really take a hard look at how to make a, a process that works for, for everyone. Um, I had one question. I had one question. Oh, just, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have a response, Chief? Please. Just for the record, uh, I just want to say the last two revisions of 3.01 were commission-led, uh, and and that's not a knock on this commission. This leads to what we're trying to do right now: is get enough information feedback for the commission so these issues aren't raised after a policy is put into place. They were commission-led. We didn't do what we're doing now, you know, and now I think we have the benefit of seeing some of the gaps that you just mentioned and I just mentioned. And what Ms. Steves is trying to do is work with commissioners and others, including uh, the Department of Police Accountability, to raise these gaps and other things that we see as problematic. So when the commission does lead this process, you're informed because I think that's why we're having some of the issues that we're having because we didn't do that the last time. Great. Uh, please, yes, please, uh, Director Kaywood. Yeah. So I think the primary author of the current version of 3.01 was an SFPD person, um, and DPA became involved at some point. Uh, no, over no, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is, that's not the case. The primary author of 3.01 was not, that was a commission-led process. I was on enough of those calls with the commissioners who led that process twice. Okay. So that, that, yeah, so, we, we did the typing. I just want to be clear before, because I want to put that genie back in the bottle. We, we did the typing, but that was a commission-led process. It, it was commission-led by Cindy Elias, but it was written by your policy director at the time, too. With direction from the commission. Okay. And the time before that, it was the Molly Taylor and Cindy it, Elias. And so. I, I guess, um, I think part of the problem is that the people who wrote 3.01 who were in the room um, are not the people at SFPD that are currently implementing it. So some of the agreements and understandings, um, like that the time periods were going to be successive, I, I think those agreements were made. Um, if perhaps I think the DGO maybe it needs to be clarified, but that's what's frustrating on my end because I had extensive conversations about um, how we were going to try to keep this timeline to 180 days plus the public comment period. So I'm all in favor. 
DPA is in favor of this becoming a commission-led DGO and clarifying it and working with the new unit as well. Um, I think if there were short lapses in between the stages, I don't think we'd be here. But part, part of the things that we're seeing is, for example, um, DGO 6.14 uh, went through concurrence with two minor edits. Someone decided there needed to be big changes. And instead of asking for an extension of time, it sat with the, with the chief's office for five months while it was up, major updates were underway without seeking an extension of time. And the, re, and the response I got from the policy unit was, oh, we don't have to ask for an extension of time. Um, there's no time limit on the, once it gets to the chief, we can take as much time as we want. So um, that's why we're here. I think those little pockets are creating an avenue for uh, overreaching and um, just not, not completing things in a timely way. Thank you for that additional color, Director Kaywood. I just have one final question, and it's for Director Kaywood, and then my colleagues are chomping at the bit, so I'm going to let them have at it, um, which is uh, one thing not covered in your Sparks report was the expedited revision of the um, investigative social media policy, and just wondering if you could provide a, a general update on that. Sure. I was going to include that in uh, the third quarter update because oh, oh, I then, didn't do, but I, I can. No, no, uh, up to you then. Don't mean to jump the gun. That's fine. It, it's up to, if you want to hear where we're at now, I'm happy to. I updated Commissioner Yanez this morning. Um, we received the police department's draft. We've been working with the commission to um, research from a law enforcement perspective what's happening in other departments. We've talked with um, experts from all over the country, uh, academic experts on policing, the intersection between technology and privacy so that our recommendations can balance the police department's need to conduct investigations with uh, civil li liberty concerns. And um, we found major problems with the department's draft DGO. Of particular concern is uh, in 2013, the United States Department of Justice promulgated best practices standards for the use of social media investigations, and this policy falls, for, falls short of even meeting those standards from strictly a law enforcement perspective. And so there's, um, we also have, we're gonna have to consult with, I think with the city attorney at some point, whether uh, the Federal Stored Communication Act, uh, whether this policy complies with that, and we'll have to weigh in with them. Uh, the policy as written violates the terms of service for Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, concerns are raised that the standard is so broad it provides no meaningful protections for civil li liberties. So we have pages and pages of notes and we're trying to process them uh, and bring it all together and bring back a DGO that's fair to the police department and fair to the community. So we're, we're trying to build a policy from the ground up. And uh, we've requested an extension until the end of the year. Uh, Jermaine Jones and I are working on it and we'll we're doing our best. Great. Thank you for the update. Commissioner Walker, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I think it's, we can, I'm going to talk about the, the 3.01 um, meeting that we had because I think that one of the things that became really apparent in going through the timeline as described in the in the language itself is that if you did the timeline, you could, you know, it stretched out for almost two years with the timeline, with all of the, the, the considerations, because it isn't just, to use your metaphor, a teacher and a student, it's actually several other parties involved 
that have to weigh in and have their own timeline or not. And so this is actually the, the point I was making that these general orders, which seem to me to, to be more about describing the policy, the goals, and that type of thing are very separate from how the officers facilitate it. And, and one of the things we discussed um, at this meeting, and again, I encourage all of the commissioners to attend the meeting and DPA, is um, there is a difference between the, the general order and a manual describing how to achieve it. And so maybe we need to look at that, that there are things that should be Put more put in a manual rather than the DGO itself because the ones that the one that we look at was which was the DGO about writing DGOs was really vague and it really it, it has so many people involved in it that it just went on and on and on even if you follow the rules and so if we're going to have the rules so specifically in a, a general order that people can be called out on um, they need to be accurate and make sense and do what they say they're going to do or they should be more in a manual that is attached to and referenced. So ge that's just in general. And, and the other thing is I, you know, I, I appreciate this report, but I think it's not, it's not really fair to include recommendations and ask the, the chief in as a response to a report, you know, if they're willing to, to support a policy because that's something that we should agendize and discuss in full. So, you know, rather than calling out the chief to respond to what the DPA puts in a report, I think it should be on the agenda. Um, sharing a platform, um, listing all of what the general orders, all of that is very good, but it does take time and we really need to discuss it and what the ramifications are. So that's all I want to say. Chief Scott. Oh, that was from earlier, uh, so I apologize for not putting that on. So I, I don't, I mean, I can answer more questions, but I think this is an in-depth discussion, and I do think that, you know, like I said, in concept, yes, there, but I just want to be clear, I, I there didn't know, and you didn't ask this as one of your four commissioner, uh, president, vice president, but the recommendation about, um, CIT deployment in, um, rooted in a DGO, I, I, I am not agree, I'm not in favor of that in concept because I think that gets us into an area that really does go with deployment and with the needs of this department, we can do that a hundred times over for every, you know, special interest in the department and then we won't have enough people to do the basic stuff and that's part of our problem. So that, that I'm not in agree, I'm not in agreement with that recommendation. Thank you for, for that clarification. Um, Director Anderson. Uh, I just had a quick question. Uh, uh, Ms. Kay, have, how many requests have we denied for extensions of time? I've agreed with all of them to the best of my recollection. I, I just, I would like to take you up on the offer, Commissioner. So we would like to attend those meetings if they have come up, if there's uh, a meeting taking place between the department and the commission specifically as it relates to DGO, yes, we want to attend. I don't want to let this go. I will follow up to find out if there has been a ball drop. To my knowledge, we have been at every meeting. 
I'm not aware of us declining to participate in any meetings, but I will absolutely follow up and report back uh, to this commission in terms of what that rollout looks like. But I have very big concerns about the conversations in the DGO taking place, especially without notice to DPA if they concern the commission, which is something we've specifically addressed here before about side meetings on things that are as important as the policy. I, I think we may end up coming to a disagreement in terms of whether or not there is a vagueness in consecutive deadlines, as I think we've already articulated, but it is what it is. It seems clear to me, but maybe the decision is to be brought here for us to determine or figure out how we're going to interpret those things moving forward. I, I don't think we have, I, I think we are distracting the conversation with an evaluation of intent or willingness when the document will have to speak for itself and have to be interpreted. But let's just figure it out. And we're happy to attend any and all of those meetings. I'll report the next time we come to meet what's happened. May we respond to that, please? I think Chief Scott was going to respond. Yeah, thank you. I'll just say this. I, 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 there may be some misunderstanding about this. The, the, there are meetings that occur about DGOs very frequently with individual commissioners, and they occur on DPA's side, and they occur on the department side. So um, I, I think there is some, some confusion about what this is. Uh, there are times where all of us are in the room, and there are times where individual commissioners meet with members of the department or my, my, me. And there are times where they meet with you and your staff. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss here in terms of what, what this controversy is because this is not unusual for us to meet with an individual commissioner or for you all to meet with individual commissioners. I, and, I think this one might be a little more unusual. I, I think it was the meeting about how to write DGOs that we were talking about, like that the commissioner went. Sure, I just want to clear this up quickly. So these are onboarding sessions for PDD. So the new division that went into effect in May, and we have new staff that was brought on in August that has no idea what DGO 301 is. So as part of bringing on new staff to a division, we have to onboard them. So we have onboarding sessions with our new staff to go through 301 so that we can identify where in our unit orders we need to put stop gaps. So while there are, there are designated timelines in 301, there are also there are decision points in 301 where there is no designated timeline. It's our job as the division that manages this process to create unit orders where we can say, all right, well, now we want to urge the deputy chief to move this forward. While there is no designated timeline for us to rely on, we can now say every five business days we'd like to check in. So it's an onboarding process. It's an onboarding session that we do. We're trying to do them every week with staff. And so we are inviting individual commissioners to come. There's not multiple commissioners coming to one session. It's one at a time. Um, separately, we have been soliciting feedback from DPA for a few months since the uh, changeover happened where we had this division. We've been, um, again, soliciting feedback. 
We've had several meetings. In the last meeting we had, we were told that there was no interest in going back and forth until we had um, a buy-in from the chief. The issue is we can't get buy-in from the chief until we do the onboarding sessions. And then you may not be aware, but we're also tasked as a new division to do an assessment on where uh, policy development has been, what the efficiencies are, what the barriers are, and any recommendations we have moving forward as a division. Part of that assessment is taking feedback from these onboarding sessions. So the chief is actually the last stop, um, but when we were soliciting feedback and really in the hopes to work together to, to identify where the stop gaps were with 301 interpretation, um, the last meeting we had was sort of uh, a stalemate where we were told that there were, we weren't going to have any more discussions. I can't stop onboarding staff. So I still have a staff where we're building it up of almost nine people that are brand new to this process, and I can't stall that just to get an agreement with another agency. But it's my understanding that as a department, we are allowed to have business meetings and onboarding meetings with brand new staff without consulting or requiring the attendance of um, other city agencies. Right, I think it sounds though, the, this is more than just an onboarding of staff. If it's culminated into, into a position reflected from the commission during the conversation of the interpretation of what 3.1 is, but my staff is here. I don't know if that was their agreement. They were in those meetings. So if I could just have her respond. Sure, and just to, to let me just follow up on the onboarding and, and Commissioner Walker can um, confirm this. The ask of the commissioner that attends is to, for that day, um, recognize that they're PDD staff. So we ask them to join the other PDD staffers and not sit in as a commissioner, but sit in as PDD staff that's going through an onboarding session. Um, so that's how we address it. I didn't um, ask Commissioner uh, Walker for specific commission feedback. It was, if we're reading this 301 DGO as is, and going page by page and line by line and creating flow charts, how does it go? And it was a group of about 10 or 10 or 15 um, staff and also a commissioner. We had commission office was present as well. So we plan on continuing these um, all the way through until we can invite every single individual commissioner. I wasn't oh, at that meeting, oh, so I didn't know. I'm just all listening. All right. I, I, let's, it looks like Ms. Hawkins has a response. Or, so I'm going to let uh, Chief of Staff Hawkins have uh, the last word, and I think if there's still any lingering uh, disagreement or confusion, maybe DP and the department can talk about it offline, and if we need to talk about it again at commission, we can do that. The last meeting that I attended where we were talking about those stop gaps, the gaps that occurred in the 3.01 process, we did a lot of work. Um, with Captain Toomer, with Ms. Steves, and with D.C. Walsh to come to consensus that he was then going to run up through his chain of command so that we could discuss and get to a place where we were going to see what we could agree on and bring the rest of the commission. So I understand Ms. Steves' explanation that it was an onboarding meeting. However, the description that DPA wasn't willing to engage or that we were stonewalling from that particular conversation is inaccurate. And um, a federal judge once told me that he wasn't going to be able to resolve my discovery issues in the middle of trial, which is what it feels like we're doing here. And I do think that we should have offline communications where we can clarify the record. I don't want to be going back and forth about this is true, this isn't. But when I feel like it's misrepresented in terms of what DP's level of engagement is when I was sitting there, um, that feels like I can't keep my mouth shut. So I just think it's important. We are willing to be involved in that process in the revision of 3.01, however, is deemed by this body to be necessary. We don't believe that that's stepping on any operational toes. 
And that was our position at that meeting. Great. Thank you, Chief of Staff Hawkins. Thank you, Ms. Steves. And Sergeant, I see no names in the queue, so let's go to public comment while we, while we still can. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item eight, the Sparks report, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. All right, next item, please. Line item nine, discussion and possible action on revised Department General Order 5.01, use of force policy and proper control of a person. Discussion and possible action. Uh, good evening, uh, Vice President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, Chief Scott, Director Henderson. Uh, my name is Steve Jonas. Uh, I'm a lieutenant assigned to the Field Operations Bureau as the uh, Field Operations Bureau uh, Plainclothes Coordinator. Uh, I'm here to present tonight on a proposed amendment to General Order 5.01, uh, specifically the section on vehicle interventions and tire deflation devices. So what prompted this proposed amendment? Um, we had an internal review of uh, the currently posted General Order 5.01. Um, this review led to questions about, uh, relating to compliance uh, with policy, specifically regarding when we're deploying tire deflation devices outside of pursuit situations. So uh, these questions uh, led to the operational decision to cease use of tire deflation devices outside of pursuits and then Chief Scott uh, decided to initiate a expedited amendment of 5.01. Um, this was in conversation with President Elias uh, and she approved of this plan. Uh, following that decision, uh, SFPD policy team and DPA uh, with uh, Janelle Kaywood and Jermaine Jones worked closely to craft language to add to 5.01. Um, this language was reviewed during a meeting with Commissioner Benedicto uh, under the 30-day timeline for expedited uh, amendments. And that timeline ran from July 14th through August 25th. Um, if this amendment is adopted, uh, we will then be able to reestablish use of tire deflation devices outside of pursuits. So just to talk briefly about some positives of reinstating tire deflation devices and some negatives that we've found since we discontinued use. Um, positives, uh, tire deflation devices are a de-escalation tool um, that's consistent with the law and policy mandates. Uh, they save lives by preventing and ending vehicle pursuits. They enable apprehension of criminal suspects without pursuits. Um, they when deployed, reduce vehicle performance to a lower speed, which raises safety. Um, they provide officers with time and distance to formulate plans and make uh, better decisions on when and where to apprehend suspects. Our officers in the SFPD are already trained on the physical aspects and policy aspects of deploying tire deflation devices. 
And tire deflation device technology really is an important aspect of uh, complying with the technology pillar of 21st century policing, uh, using technology to make ourselves a better police department. Um, some of the negatives that we've found uh, since we've discontinued use, um, currently uh, tire deflation devices require that a situation escalate to a pursuit before they can be deployed. Um, many high priority crime suspects, such as organized retail theft suspects, auto burglary suspects, are not pursuable under SFPD policy. Um, and out even of, above and beyond that, even when officers are not intending to initiate a pursuit or planning to pursue at all, just a mere attempt to stop these criminal suspects without a tire deflation device can result in dangerous uh, evasion of the suspects. Um, also, the we've found that the lack of tire deflation devices has limited our opportunities for arrests and raised the danger to the public when we do attempt to make arrests. So some data that we compiled over a, about a 15 month period when we were deploying tire deflation devices outside of pursuits. And this uh, data was compiled between March of 2022 and May of 2023. Um, during that period, uh, we had 46 deployments, preemptive deployments, that is deployment outside of a pursuit. Um, as a result of those 46 deployments, we made 86 arrests of criminal suspects. Uh, that, those arrests closed, uh, I would say, approximately four times that many criminal cases. Um, those arrests also resulted in the seizure of 27 handguns, four assault rifles, um, and a lot of evidence and recovered stolen property. Uh, the deployments did end up resulting in eight post-deployment collisions, thankfully because the suspect vehicle's performance was degraded and they were not able to flee at high speed. Those collisions only resulted in one minor injury to an uninvolved driver. Um, there were three vehicles that were unintentionally damaged by tire deflation devices during those deployments. That was through a variety of circumstances and those parties were provided with information on how to make a claim to get their vehicles repaired. So what are the policy changes? So they begin, the revisions begin on uh, page 16, uh, which is section 5.01.08F, vehicle interventions. Um, these were developed, as I said, jointly by SFPD and DPA policy teams. Um, both the SFPD and DPA teams feel that these policies clarify use by members and create a sufficiently narrowly tailored circumstances to give the officers good guidance on how to properly use them. Um, tire deflation device deployment to affect an arrest or detention will, a detention will remain a reportable use of force within 5.01, um, along with all the tracking that follows that. Uh, this amendment also adds a procedure to report property damage caused by tire deflation devices that's not present in current policy. And use during a vehicle pursuit will remain under Department General Order 5.05. So what are the next steps? Um, from here, we would move to meet and confer with the POA regarding the proposed amendment. Um, if the DGO is adopted uh, and implemented after conclusion of meet and confer, we would then uh, move to reestablish use of tire deflation devices outside of pursuits. Uh, 
the deployments would continue to be included in the SFPD quarterly activity and data reports under the vehicle intervention section. And then subsequent to that, there will be a request uh, by the chief to initiate through 3.01 an update of General Order 5.05 reg specifically regarding tire deflation devices, and that will allow us to rescind a outdated bureau order from 2003. That's the current policy. Um, lastly, um, I would just like to say that uh, myself and many officers in the department feel this is a matter of the utmost urgency. Um, we're moving into the fall convention season. Um, we have a huge number of visitors coming into San Francisco. And with the APEC conference coming up in November, um, I think this is a great opportunity for us to move quickly and try to implement this before that conference occurs. So I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, Lieutenant Jonas, thank you so much for that presentation. Just wanted to clarify the, the slide with the numbers um, re reflecting the deployment over the 15-month period. Were those just proactive deployments, or was that all the deployments during that period? That is only pro uh, preemptive deployments outside of pursuits, correct? Preemptive. And you said that there was 82 arrests, but roughly four times as many cases closed as a result of those arrests. Yes, that right? so that's an approximation, but what we find is usually these suspects, when they're going out and committing auto burglaries, which is, I would say, the majority of our deployments, they're not just committing one auto burglary. They're committing a string of three, four, five, six, twelve auto burglaries in a day. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, it's just like, it just, I'm just struck by the numbers. It's just very, very impressive results. I mean, 82 arrests. 360 rough cases closed, one injury. Um, this is obviously a really important and effective tool. Um, Chief, the decision to uh, suspend the usage of this effective tool, the, I saw that Assistant Chief Lazar sent the email out. Is, was that, made, was that uh, Assistant Chief Lazar's decision? Was it your decision? Yeah, uh, that was my decision. It was your decision. decision. And, and the reason being is we need to protect our officers and our department and our city with a policy that supports this tactic. I mean, I, I like to think of, you know, these deployments as a pilot. We know it works. We know it's effective. But at the end of the day, there are some policy conflicts that were really problematic with us using, using this, this, this tactic. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I did look at the old version of 5.01 and it wasn't obvious to me why the old version wouldn't allow the use of preemptive use of spike strips. I mean, I certainly support revising it to make it crystal clear, but I didn't see anything in 5.01 that said that would indicate you couldn't use spike strips. I think the standard was that it had to be, I think the words are reasonable under the circumstances. Uh, is there is there something else? Yeah, there's also language, and I'm doing this off of memory, but there's also language in that in the policy because there's a couple of policies, 5.05, 5.01, that calls for the use of spike strips in a pursuit. So, in order for an officer to go in pursuit, you have to make an attempt to stop. You have to then the person tries to evade. Right? Uh, that's when spike strips are allowed. Preemptive. I mean, it, some of, most of these, there is, 
there is not a traditional pursuit or the, the attempt to stop. I mean, these, these, these suspects are, when they think they're made, it will drive at, at any cost to try to get away. And so the preemptive piece is, you know, try to do this without actually going in pursuit. Yeah. Because I, when you read it, 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 it specifically states, you know, it's after pursuit. It's after pursuit has been initiated when spike trips are, are, are authorized. Okay. Yeah. I'll take another look at it. Um, and maybe I need to look at 5.05 closer, but I'll just say I, yeah, on an initial read and I'll take another look, I, I didn't see a reason to, it's a pretty drastic step, obviously, to suspend the use of a tactic that's been so successful and it's not without cost. When, when was it, when was the, the decision to suspend? I don't recall myself. No, was this about March? Uh, it was so, about May 30th. May, May 30th. Right. So, you know, been three months now of this and extrapolating from you know the data that that we just heard i mean that's you know 70 some cases closed that didn't happen and that's a bunch of folks who got away suspects who got away that recidivated so i'm a little concerned i mean because that's a pretty costly decision to make if it's not clear that it needed to be suspended pending policy review, I, I would have loved for the commission to have been consulted. We could have, we could have, we could have issued a guidance uh, document. We could have issued a resolution interpreting our own DGO saying we interpret it to permit preemptive use of spike strips. Um, it, it, like I said, it, I mean, it had a significant societal cost. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. We're definitely aware of that. And also, you know, part of our job is to mitigate risk to our actions and but it was it, it was legal it was risk to officers to, to put, you know, potentially violating a policy and the commission could have solved that if it issued a resolution say we interpret our policy to permit preemptive use of spike strips so yeah, that's well, all i'm saying i mean yeah, there's no, a, there, but that's why we're here I mean, suspects that's, that's got we, away yeah, people lost property people got hurt because we couldn't use spike strips for three months um, well, hopefully it'll be that means a yes vote <laughs> um had, I just had a question about the substance of the changes. Yes, sir. So, let, uh, let's, let's, yeah, page 16. Thank you, Commissioner. Page 16, uh, subsection B3, which lays out one, one of the conditions under which you can use preemptive use of spike strips. So, um, so it's a two-pronged test, right? There has to be probable cause to arrest or reasonable suspicion to detain an occupant. That's clear. And in addition to that, uh, there has to be an articulable and reasonable belief that the operator of the vehicle has previously fled or is likely to flee recklessly if a vehicle stop is attempted. And the, the piece that I'm zooming in on is that last piece is likely to flee recklessly if a vehicle stop is attempted. There's a, a couple of things with this, which is how is an officer supposed to be able to predict in the future not only whether someone will flee, but whether they will flee recklessly? I guess you could flee in a responsible way and ob abide by all the traffic laws. But 
it, it seems difficult before anything is happening. You know, what, what, what would a person do in real life that would make an officer be able to know, okay, this person is going to flee, not only flee, but they are going to do so in a, in a reckless manner. Do you think that that, I mean, I could think of some scenarios where it's clear they've done some, they've driven, you've watched them drive recklessly already maybe. But I could imagine situations where this is fuzzy and how are you supposed to know if they're going to flee recklessly particularly? I think this is a situation where you have to apply a lot of the different balance tests that exist in 5.01 surrounding reasonableness. Um, but where you're talking specifically about why an officer would think somebody's going to flee recklessly, there could be a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, one of those factors can be just the activity in the area where they're engaged in that activity and what's their mode that they're using to transport themselves. Um, how are they operating the car when they're not being attempt, when there's not an attempt to stop? Um, I think uh, many of us has had the experience of seeing these cars uh, either on video or in person as they approach or leave the scene of an auto burglary and they are not driving in a responsible manner. Um, and I think uh, assessments like that are made over frequently over the course of a long surveillance. Um, a, a lot of expertise goes into it on the part of the officers. These officers are all very experienced, dedicated officers with literally hundreds and thousands of hours on surveillance of burglary suspects, robbery suspects. And I think that um, like a lot of the decisions that we make, we have to leave that to the officers to properly articulate why they felt that that suspect was going to flee recklessly. All right, that's helpful. I guess my other issue with the requirement, the ad, adding reckless as a requirement, is that the fact that they had fled previously, standing alone, is enough to use the preemptive spike strips. So if we're going to say that you fled before, whether reckless or not, you can use them preemptively. But if you think they're going to flee, not recklessly, then you can't use them. And so it's two different standards. If we think recklessness is re like is required for in order for deployment of spike strips to be appropriate, then it should apply whether the flight happened in the past or you think it's going to happen in the future. Um, so to me, that strikes me as inconsistent. If we think recklessness is we need to have it before we use spike strips, then I think it's it's got to either you got to either remove it from future or we got to add it to past, um, and I think and I, I lean towards in excising it from future. But I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. I think uh, point taken. Um, I think uh, in the work that I did on this general order, I think that's in there because that's a. Uh, that's generally how we describe uh, a violation of 2800.2 of the vehicle code, reckless evasion, it's felony evasion. Um, I agree, like, like you said, there may be circumstances where people flee in a non-reckless fashion. It's extremely rare. 99% um, of people fleeing is reckless. Um, I, I would not, as, I would not disagree with your assessment of that it should be consistent and maybe it should just be flee, period. Okay, I just have two other factual questions and then I'll circle back to this and ask, I won't, I know you don't like people ask 
your view on recommendations on the spot. So I'm gonna ask two other questions. You can and ask then me. I'm gonna circle back and, and, I'll, and I'll ask you too, Director. Um, but just two, two factual questions. Uh, will, will, will tire deflation devices of, of some sort, or will they be issued to more or less every patrol officer, only a subset with specific training? Tire deflation devices currently are available to every officer on patrol. Um, they are somewhat uh, limited just in terms of like, like every piece of equipment, you know, the, we have how many we have and we want officers to take them out with them, but it's, it's not something that's limited uh, okay. in terms of availability to officers. Every officer is trained on how to use them. Okay, great, that's helpful. And then one thing uh, that I heard uh, from a couple of folks in the department a while back and, and uh, is that there are, and this is probably the colloquial word, so feel free to correct me, that there are some, there's not spike strips, but there's sticks. And basically, I was told that, you know, with the evolution of tire technology, they're, you know, puncture proof, and sometimes deploying a spike strip can be dangerous to the officer. That version 2.0 was basically like a stick that you throw, and it kind of like a wrench gums up the, the functioning of the tire well, but that those had not been actually given to officers is there is that do i have any part of that correct and if so are there any do you have any thoughts on that i don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge on stop sticks and spike strips and other tire deflation devices like the brand names and what what they are um what our department has available and what we don't have available um i know that our officers that have been working on the in the this field have all the tools that they've needed Obviously, we always want more tools, um, but uh, I haven't heard complaints from our officers that the current uh, spike strips that we're using are not sufficient to the job. Okay, great, that's helpful. Chief, how, how, how would you uh, feel about excising the word reckless? And I'll, I'll ask you as well, Director Henderson. Um, I, I'm fine with excising the word reckless. I mean, I know, I, Understanding, you know, what Lieutenant Jonas said about the, the vehicle code section, but here's the, here's the thing. Um, there is a such thing as slow speed pursuits, and sometimes they're, even though they're not reckless, you know, they happen. And I think with what we're facing with this particular, you know, we use them the most, as was explained when we, when we did this with car break-ins, and just to say this without being too long-winded, um, the ability for our officer, officers to be able to apprehend these types of uh, criminal suspects with um, not as, as many restraints and conditions is a good thing because it is rampant. It is, uh, they do flee recklessly, but you know, in the event that they, some people actually do pay attention to what we can and can't do and if the thought process is, hey, as long as I don't drive recklessly, SFPD can't do anything, uh, that is not the message we want to send. <laughs> we want to send the message that if you come here and you break into a car, our police officers will have the ability to, you know, to, to do what they need to do to apprehend you. 
So I think it's a good, I think it's a good recommendation. So I'm happy to answer that. Okay. So. I, thank you, Chief. Director Henderson? Uh, we don't have an objection to the recklessly, and we have that same interpretation and agree with what the Chief was just saying. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Yee. Hey, thank you very much there, uh, Vice President Carter. Over some. Uh, I just going to ask the Chief, because I sort of witnessed uh, what you call uh, car in pursuit. You know, it just happened to be on Stockton Street at 2 p.m., and I was talking to uh, one of the sergeant out there, Sergeant Chiu, and then across the radio, there's a pursuit of a car. Car came down Jackson Street and made a right turn into Stockton Street. Uh, both lanes were occupied. This vehicle went on to the oncoming traffic side to avoid, uh, I guess, being stopped. Uh, I asked the chief, is that reckless driving? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he turned, he turned right in front of uh, pedestrians and turned up on Washington Street. So I asked um, Sergeant Chiu, I said, can't you do spikes or something like that or put a vehicle in front? And he says, um, you know, there's a, the DGO, uh, you know, regarding, the, I guess, to do, um, I guess, the maneuver to put them in, it might put additional risk to the residents there as well. Because, um, and I said, what's the option left? And I'm just thinking about the spike strip to slow the person down. Because anybody that travels, I, I say pretty, dangerously on oncoming traffic and turning into in front of pedestrian crossing street on Washington and Jackson. I would say that's a, that that's highly dangerous for our residents and you know, we, we need to do something about it. I think the spike strip is an excellent idea of um, de-escalation of making it safe for our residents. So I've been in support of this, uh, I guess, the uh, revision amendment, and uh, that's how I would be voting today. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Byrne. Thank you, uh, Vice President. Um, like, uh, to be frank, I'm I'm happy with the language either way. I I um, I, I, I understand the department's position that that um, they took a very conservative interpretation of the, of the, of the amendment, so they stopped the spike strips uh, because they didn't, they didn't want to run ahead of it. Of it. I don't want to um, do spilt milk about whether they could have come and asked for an interpretation. I understand you, you operated the, uh, the way you did and, and sought the revision of the DGO, and, um, and I think I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to more or less commend because you brought it to the attention straight away to President Elias. Um, so I'm happy either way. The quicker this thing gets in there, the better it is. And I, I agree with the Lieutenant Flea. Recklessly is going to be 99% of the time. Maybe there'll be some um, handicapped or elderly person that couldn't drive a car quickly, I guess. And, Therefore, maybe we shouldn't do the strip. I, I, I'm just trying to envision the scenario where 
that, you know, uh, but having said that, um, um, yeah, uh, the sooner the better. And, and I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it was brought to our attention straight away. And sure, there might have been other ways of doing it, but what was important is it was brought to our attention straight away. Thank you. All right, I'm going to make a motion to adopt and send to meet and confer with the following amendment that on page 16 of the red line version uh, in section 2B Romanet 3 that the word recklessly be struck uh, in, in at the end of the last sentence. Second. Second. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding DGO 5.01, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Um, before I vote, I did have my hand raised. I, I know that it's a little bit more challenging because I'm not there physically, but I do have one question uh, before my vote, and, and I just think it merits um, attention. Just in the way the information was presented, I am completely in agreement that this is a, a tool that the department has used responsibly, and I envision it being used responsibly moving forward. Um, but the third slide, uh, the way it's framed, you know, it, it presents positives with TDDs versus negatives without TDDs. Normally, I like comparing apples to apples. I would like to know what the negatives with TDDs were. I know that there were very few post-deployment collisions, only one minor injury, even though any injury is obviously uh, concerning. Uh, but is that data gonna continue to be collected? And do we have data of what the negatives with TDDs were during the same period that you provided this data for from March 22nd through May 23? Um, so specifically regarding the question of whether the data is gonna continue to be collected, the answer to that is yes. Um, we will continue to collect the data, uh, especially as these are uses of force that this data is already collected um, and uh, uh, collated as re quarterly reports to the commission. Um, secondly, uh, as far as what are the, what have been the negatives regarding tire deflation deployments outside of pursuit, um, I really uh, struggle to find any negatives um, in the tire deflation devices uh, deployment. As I said in the presentation, we did have three vehicles that were unintentionally damaged um, just due to the way police work really happens in the field. Sometimes we put out tire deflation devices and the wrong car runs over them. It's unfortunate. We feel bad for the folks that have their car damaged. We do our best to help them in that situation. Um, clearly, we do not want anybody to be injured during an apprehension by our officers. Um, but I think uh, in the light in which I'm presenting this, I think that one minor injury, I think if we had 46 attempts to apprehend auto burglars without using tire deflation devices prior, um, even if we did not pursue those subjects, 
just that first initial contact where we would attempt to make the stop and the, the speed and the ferocity which with these uh, individuals operate their vehicles are really a huge danger. I think we would have had a much less positive outcome if we had proceeded in those incidents without tire deflation devices. I, um, so I really struggle to find much in the way of negatives for the deployment of tire deflation devices. Do we have the numbers for when, uh, during the same period, these were escalated deployments of the TDD? I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not. I so, don't. Uh, the, the data you provided is for deployments that were preemptively uh, utilized and yes. from March 22nd through May 23rd. Uh, because the policy said that there had to be an escalation in order for these to be used during that period. What do we have the numbers for that same period for pursuits that were escalated and required the use of the TDDs? I'm sorry, I, I think that's a misunderstanding of, of the slide. So that me, the meaning of that is that since May, since we discontinued use, we are unable to deploy tire deflation devices until a situation escalates to a pursuit. It's not that we, not during that 15 month period. There is data um, available through the uh, academy, through the use of force tracking um, on other tire deflation device deployments during pursuits. I do not have that for you, but that, yeah, because that's not, it's the pursuit policy is not being affected by this uh, amendment at all. Uh, I just I was just hoping that that information is available somewhere and it would be good to have you got, it. You got a point of, As I said, this is you, uh, you obviously a, a tool that we will vote with. My vote is yes. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure that I asked those questions. Thank you. Thank you. Right, Director Henderson. Uh, chair, do we have a Motion, second, and a vote count. Are we, we are in discussion, or are we? Yes, we, we have followed a less than standard path, as you pointed out, Commissioner Yee. Can, can I get the city attorney, uh, or our attorney, to weigh in? Are we on the vote, or are we on discussion? There was a motion, and the vote started, but you have the prerogative of going back to discussion, which seems to have happened. We'll, we'll go back to discussion and we will do what we need to do to make everything legally compliant. I, I share your concern, Commissioner. Uh, Director Henderson? Your mic. Your mic. Your mic's not on. I just wanted to make people lean in to hear a little bit more. Uh, I just wanted to thank Lieutenant Jonas uh, for the work on this uh, policy. I think it's a creative policy, uh, particularly that it's based on data and is a big step both for public safety and officer safety. Uh, and we are in support of the policy moving forward. I know I don't get to vote, but from time to time things stand out like this one and how this policy came into being is great. Thank you for that. And uh, to Commissioner Yee's concern, just want to ask the city attorney on the record, do we need to redo public comment as a result of our return to discussion? No, you do not need to redo public comment, but I am not, you were on the vote, so public comment period was closed. Okay. 
I'm I'm going to make a friendly amendment to my own motion. So I'm going to with Yes, I'm going to make a friendly amendment to my own motion because the city attorney was nice enough to point out that I forgot something, which is I am going to make a motion to s approve and send this policy to meet and confer subject to our previously passed resolution, resolution 2330, which gives direction to the labor commissioner. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, not the labor commissioner, the labor negotiator. Uh, um, is there a second on that revised? Uh, second. Money? Thank you. All right, on the amended motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Next item, please. Line item 10, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 2.01, General Rules of Conduct. Discussion and possible action. Good evening, afternoon, President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, Chief Scott, Director Henderson. I am Acting Commander Mark M. from the Risk Management Office. And with me, I have Acting Captain Angela Wilhelm and Sergeant Ramesh Shangaran. Uh, they are the SMEs, and we're here to present DGO 2.01 General Rules of Conduct. Um, it has already gone through meet and confer, and the two SMEs are here to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you, Captain. Just one question, and, and, and for those in the audience, I'm going to ask the same question for all post-meet and confer DGOs, which is just whether the department is requesting any delay in implementation for training or other reasons? No, we are not. So it will become effective the moment this commission approves it, if it were to be approved? I'm sorry, can I speak on that, sir? Um, we would like to at least have a 30-day period. One of the issues that we have, I mean, like I said, 25 DGOs, and there's a lot of moving parts here, so just you know, have, getting together a schedule to, to socialize this in the department, that takes a little time. And um, I, I believe 30 days with this one would be sufficient. Is that business days or calendar days? Um, business days. You always <laughs> got to check. No, I know. Thank you for asking that question. Okay. Business days. Okay. So, I mean, that does make a difference. So, Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, seeing no uh, no one in the queue, uh, I will make a motion to approve the DGO uh, to be implemented in 30 business days. Second. Members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item 10, DGO 2.01, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 11, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 2.02, .02, alcohol use by sworn department members. Discussion and possible action. Good evening. I'm going to stay up here. Um, with me, I have Dr. Jessica Chuang. She's our police physician. Uh, one of the SMEs for DGO 2.02. 
And will the department be asking for a delay in implementation? Yes, we're asking for 30 calendar days. Business. Oh, sorry, 30 business days. All right. Seeing no questions in the queue, I will make a motion to uh, adopt the DGO to be implemented in 30 business days. I'll second. You need a public comment. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 11, please approach the podium. New DGO prohibiting alcohol use or for officers on duty, or like, I'm just confused. Like, why is this coming up now? I guess you don't have to answer. But members of the public there are copies of the items that are on the agenda you can find them by by the door there and this so if you'd like to review the policy uh, you're more than welcome And seeing no further public comment on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 12. Discussion of possible actions to adopt revised Department General Order 2.03, use of intoxicants or drugs by sworn department members. Discussion and possible action. This is my last one, 2.03. And will you also be asking yes. for 30 uh, business days? Yes. Great. Okay, see, so you know, no, no one is in the queue, so I'll make a motion to adopt this DGO to be implemented in 30 business days. I'll second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 12, please approach the podium. Seeing no public comment on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Yi? I'm sorry, Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yi? Yes. Commissioner Yi is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 13 Discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 5.07 Rights of Onlookers. Discussion and possible action. Good evening, Chief Scott, Director Henderson, and the San Francisco uh, Police Commission. Uh, Captain Harvey here uh, to talk about the rights of onlookers, uh, the general order draft 5.07. Uh, will the department be asking for any delay in implementation? Yes, I would like to recommend uh, a 90-day um, extension for the sheer fact that we have um, a couple significant events happening in the city of San Francisco in the coming months, uh, including but not limited to APEC. So for that reason, um, we would like 90 days versus uh, 30 days as discussed in the previous um, general orders. 
All right, I'll make a motion to uh, adopt the DGO to be implemented in 90, in 90 business days. Business days? Business days, right? Business days. Yep. Yes, sorry. Is there a okay. second? Okay. For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item 13, General Order 5.07, please approach the podium. Seeing none, on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 14, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 5.16, search warrants, discussion and possible action. Good evening. Good evening, um, Acting President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, Director Henderson, and Chief Scott. My name is Kara Lacey, and I'm here with Captain uh, James Ahern. We're here to present 5.16. It is back from meet and confer. We are asking for a 90 business day implementation window. There are There is in-person training that goes along with this DGO. All right, seeing no questions, I will make a motion to adopt this DGO to be implemented in 90 business days. Second. For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item 14, DGO 5.16, please approach the podium. Seeing none, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote on the motion? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 15, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 9.01, traffic enforcement, discussion and possible action. Good evening, uh, Vice President Carter Overstone, Commissioners, Chief Scott, Director Henderson. Um, I'm here uh, to uh, present 901. I know it's already been previously approved and meeting um, uh, there was one typographical error I noticed that um, was previously adopted in the resolution 2346 um, that when the edit was made, uh, there's a paragraph that repeats itself on page six. Previously asked that um, what is listed here as paragraph five be stricken, paragraph six be renumbered as paragraph five, and then paragraph seven be renumbered as paragraph six because five and seven repeat each other. And to be clear, you don't want to delete, just delete seven and leave everything numbered as is. You yeah. want to delete five and renumber. Delete five and then renumber because, because the order is important. That's the order in which the okay. work will be done. Um, and just one, one moment.
All right, just conferring with the legalities. You know, we're always want to be on top of that. Okay, um, and, and will you be asking for any delay in implementation? No. No, so it, it, will, it will be effective tomorrow. It will be effective tonight if we uh, Well, then I, I retract my last statement. No, we would ask for 30 days. 30 business days, but, but uh, our labor, our labor oh, director. Oh, okay, so we're still. Sorry, I stepped out of the room for a minute because I didn't want to get my car locked up again. But are you amending 9.01 that we have an agreement with? Uh, the proposed amendment is is oh, it's just a typo. Uh, deleting a duplicative uh, paragraph and renumbering, so so not not substantive. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I just wanted to make sure she heard she heard yeah. she had all the facts so we can get it through. Okay. okay. Um, all right. So I, I will make a motion to adopt the DGO with the following amendments on page six. Uh, subsection five will be struck, and what is now subsection six will be renumbered subsection five, and what is now subsection seven will be renumbered subsection six, and uh, this DGO will become effective in 30 business days second for members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 15 DGO 9.01 please approach the podium seeing no public comment Commissioner Walker how do you vote on the motion yes Commissioner Walker is yes Commissioner Yanez yes Commissioner Yanez is yes Commissioner Byrne yes Commissioner Byrne is yes Commissioner Yee yes Commissioner Yee is yes Vice President Carter Oberstone Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 16, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 9.02, vehicle crashes. Discussion and possible action. Hi. Hello. Um, commissioners, Chief Scott and Director Henderson. Um, my name is Sergeant Kevin Edison. Um, Officer Okowitz here with me, Mike Okowitz. We're at Traffic Unit and are here to present 9.02. Um, so basically it's on vehicle crashes. Um, it's gone to meet and confer. It's come, you know, obviously back and forth. And I think we're here to ask for, you know, your um, approval to go forth with it and have it put into policy. And will you be asking for any delay in implementation? Should we approve it? Yes, uh, we do 30 business days. Great. All right. Seeing uh, no questions, I will make a motion to adopt this DGO to be implemented. You do have a question. Sorry. Oh, I'm Pat. sorry. Please, please. Okay. I'm sorry. My mistake. Uh, the question I have is scooters. I understand. I don't. Would they be included in this as considered as vehicles or bicycles? I don't necessarily see electric scooters uh, detailed in any way, shape or form. Or do those reside in another DGO? So the scooters and there's many vehicles out there between electric, non-electric. Um, those are addressed in the collision investigation manual, which is put off by CHP in the state. So in the um, general orders, it refers to that manual as what is the guide for us, um, all police officers in the state, and how to do reporting. Um, I. I 
the reason I raise this question is I read an article about an incident report not being generated for uh, an individual who was on a bicycle who was hit by an electric scooter and, and the officer who took the report or who took the complaint indicating that to their understanding scooters were not covered by these things. Would it be helpful to clarify that in this DGO? I think trying to clarify the collision investigation manual pretty much states what is considered a um, pedestrian conveyance versus what's like an electric vehicle. Um, it's kind of outlined in that pretty clearly. Um, it's kind of hard to outline every single vehicle that's out there because, as you know, with technology, things are coming much more apparent. So the manuals seem to cover those, in my opinion, better. Um, as far as bicycles go, all bicycle collisions that result in injury should be reported. Right. And um, that's, that, is in, that is in the general orders. Got it. And so do, do any commissioners feel uh, that it is worth uh, amending and adding language that covers electric scooters just because we have such a large preponderance of both scooters and incidents sometimes uh, with this in this area? Can I? I mean, I see what you're saying. Can you tell us where in the general order it refers to the manual? Okay. Yeah, there is one reference to an incident report on CPH uh, and, and some manual, but there's no language cited from that manual. So, I mean, something that would provide officers with more clarity considering that not every officer apparently has read that manual thoroughly and understand what that may entail and cover. So this is covered um, first page under section A, and this is referring to the CHP California Highway Patrol Collision Investigation Manual, which every officer when they go through the academy is taught out of that manual how to investigate, document, uh, and overall look at a collision. Um, they do go through that manual. C, yeah. Yeah. C, report. Sorry. Uh, Section C, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. California Highway Patrol's <coughs> crash investigation. I mean, I, yeah, I, I actually sort of in that there was a, Commissioner um, Yanez mentioned having an officer say that he didn't have to complete a report because it was a scooter is concerning because there are <laughs> there are scooter issues. I mean, there are uh, all sorts of sort of vehicles. So, um, I mean, I understand that if you include one and don't include another, that might be a problem. But I feel like. I mean, it would be great to have some mention in that C, not just to follow the manual, maybe say including all vehicles. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we are having issues collecting data on the, you know, those kind of collisions. So um, I think. Well, just to add to that. Okay. The collision manual does a much better 
um, update <clears throat> when it comes to new devices, mobility devices that are huh. uh, introduced. Uh, locking ourselves into yeah. a particular item here um, may or may not change the fact because a lot of these electric scooters, hoverboards, you name it, uh, they're constantly changing their ah. wattage output, which puts them into another category of vehicles. So that's why that's not covered here, because we're going to lock ourselves into something that can change tomorrow. I totally understand it. I mean, I just think that we need to, to reference it successfully so that people understand it. And maybe, I mean, if you can say that the training does that, then. Uh, I can say the training does that because I teach the officers <laughs> yeah. in the academy collision investigation and we specifically go over this manual as an exercise so they have to figure out what some of these different things are in here yeah. um, if I were to reference everything in that manual in this DGO it would be a very long DGO yeah no I I appreciate that I mean it's kind of what I was talking about with just the DGO DGO itself you know that there's some things that are more changeable and more adaptive on a regular basis based on state and other laws. So I understand that. Yeah. Um, I, I think we, we adopted it as it is. I okay. mean, if we have the, if we have the problem that we had with the, the strips things, then we come back immediately fix it. Yeah. But I, I think the CHP yeah. manual. It's pretty okay. extensive from what I understand. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Yanez, did you have, were you gonna say something? Uh, I was just trying to identify where in the DGO some language that just identify, that, that details uh, moving vehicles that are not, uh, let's say mechanical vehicles, right? Maybe that would be a, a way to cover all this new uh, technology. Uh, because they're not necessarily gas-powered vehicles, right? Maybe just an electric transportation kind of uh, placeholder would, would be broad enough. But I understand since without reading that manual, I am not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of how detailed that is. So uh, I don't want to necessarily hold <laughs> it up. I know that there is a way to amend moving forward if, in fact, this does become a problem. So. I'm comfortable moving forward with uh, the DGO in, the, in its current iteration, um, and I will be going through that manual just to see if, if just to reassure myself that um, that is covered somewhere. All right. Well, seeing no other discussion, so just to be clear, Commissioner, you're, you're not making an amendment or proposed amendment. I'm not going to amend or, or make an amendment at this moment, um, and I, I'm comfortable moving forward with a vote. Okay, great. Seeing no other names in the queue, I'll make a, a motion to adopt the DGO to be implemented in 30 business days. Second. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 16, DGO 9.02, please approach the podium. I have another question which may or may not be answered, but um, if this is adopted, when will um, the updated DGO be updated on the website?
Yeah, my answer. Yeah, we um, we'll get it as soon as we get it adopted. Adopted. Well, it's already on the website because it's been posted publicly, but the official policy within that that 30-day business calendar days. Our goal is to have it up by the time it's actually implemented. All right, seeing no further public comment on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 17, discussion and possible action to adopt revised protocols for release of SB 1421 and SB 16 documents. Discussion and possible action. Who's presenting on this? This is uh, 1421. <laughs> Just as a reminder, last time it was Commissioner Elias, President Elias, who took the lead on it, and I worked on it with her. So but I don't know anything that happened in the meet and confer process. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I thought this was a committee, because we I have all the names of our folks who are presenting tonight in this one. That was maybe a commission. And so. since, I guess, uh, and then, so do we have a recollection about whether there should be any delay in implementation for this? Uh, since. There, there shouldn't be, just given that we're already turning over records for SB 1421 and 16 because it's required by state law. Right. I don't think that there's, unless Luana has anything to add from the meet and confer process, I think, no? Okay, then. It's okay, great. So I will make a motion to uh, adopt the uh, revised policy. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 17, SB 1421 and SB 16 documents, please approach the podium. See no public comment on the motion. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 18, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 20 below, closed session, including public comment on item 19, a vote whether to hold item 20 in closed session. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium. Uh. And there is no public comment. Line item 19, vote on whether to hold item 20 in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. Move to go into closed session. Second. All right. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Aye. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Mianez? Yes. Commissioner Mianez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have five yeses. We will go into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. Thank you. 
Item 21, vote to elect whether to disclose any or all on discussion on item 20 held in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12A, action. I'd like to make a motion to disclose all non-privileged discussion on item 20A. I, I, I don't understand the motion. The what do you consider non-privileged? The motion is to disclose the discussion under under item number 20A, except if there you know is anything privileged covered by the attorney-client privilege. Everything is. We were talking to the attorney the whole time. Yeah. No, we we I don't think. Which one are you talking about? Me, if I made a mistake, no, no. Yeah, 20A. We did not consult our attorney. Luana Preston isn't our attorney? No, she's she's not. I don't even think she's barred. She's a labor negotiator. Yeah. Oh, so she's, but she's, okay. So she's acting as a labor negotiator, because she's an attorney, I thought, too, as well. Not to my knowledge. She's oh. a and labor negotiator. And even if she negotiator. was, she's not acting okay, as our I understand. counsel. I understand. Um, I... I mean, part of the reason for the, 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 the that they didn't push it was because who's somebody's father died? Was it um, the father died? Um, I don't see why that needs to go into public record that she expected a delay because the father died. Just, I mean, just to clarify, I think you're asking is the reason why you go into closed session for labor negotiation is there's a privilege there for labor negotiations. Right. And so, uh, Acting President Carter Oberstone is asked, is his motion is to release the non-privileged information, and I think you have questions about what that means. Yes, isn't the isn't the letter a labor negotiation? Yes, it, it is. So I I would not second it. So we could vote on it, right? Your motion. Okay. I'm sorry. Is, is his, there, his motion yeah. was. The motion's pending. Yes, your uh, motion. I, don't, I don't, he, he didn't hear a second. second for that motion. Okay. Is there a second for this motion? Okay. Hearing no second. I'll, I'll second that, actually. Okay. <laughs> There's a second then. Okay. So then you have a vote. All right. So if any member of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item 21, please approach the podium. See no public comment on the motion. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Commissioner Walker is no. Commissioner Yanez. Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? No. Commissioner Byrne is no. Uh, Commissioner Yee? No. Commissioner Yee is no. And Vice President Carter Oberstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Oberstone is yes. You have three no's and two yeses. The motion oh. fails. Okay, the motion failed. Is there uh, another motion? Move to go into open session and not disclose. Is there a we're second? In we're in open session, right? Move to not disclose. Is there a second on that motion? I'll second. Right. Um, on the motion to not disclose, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Uh, no. Commissioner Yanez is no. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. 
Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have four yeses. All right, line item 22, adjournment, action item. Oh. <laughs> we got you out we early, uh, Chief. I know.